This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you, boy, oh boy. Life is good, don't you think? I mean, no matter how stressed you are, it could be good. It can be very good. And today, no exception. By the way, happy No Selfies Day. This uh, this is going to be the greatest day. For the Kardashians, it could prove fatal. Because can they make it through a day without totally, you know, taking 500 selfies? They're probably already taken 20. No, just getting up in the morning. Just waking up. You got to wake up all you know. You got to wake up and got to get that early morning. I'm tired. Picture. Well, you have to get that one that says, "I just wake up like this after you do your makeup." <laughs> after you get your your face on. Uh, no selfies day. It was established to help cast a light on just how much this has become a part of our culture. People are dying because of selfies. Yes, falling off cliffs, falling <laughs> off buildings. Needs to stop. The average girl spends one hour and 24 minutes each week trying to capture that perfect selfie. In fact, the Secret Service detail that it was uh, at the time protecting Donald Trump III, which is his grandson. Oh, oh, grandson, yeah. Yeah. He was asleep in the back of this vehicle. Two Secret Service agents are taking him home. And while they were driving, they were taking pictures of them and him and – Oh, selfies. Really? Yeah. So now they're under an investigation. Yeah. No, yeah. Nothing. Nothing insidious. Nothing right. bad. They just took a picture. Well, yeah. But you just. But he, a. He's a sleeping child. But b. He's the president's grandchild. And he's not your kid. Yeah. Don't just, be taking just pictures. Drive him home. So they're under investigation. So yeah. Selfies. Jeff, what are you doing? I, Jeff keeps taking pictures. Well, selfies. Well, this is the first time I'm wearing this shirt, so I want it. It's nice to be broadcast to the whole really world. Really nice. Is, uh, I see you got a new selfie stick. Yeah. And a broom. Yeah, this one... So you just taped your phone to the broom. Well, you know, most of these selfie sticks, you're not going to get more than two or three feet. So yeah. I needed more length. Yeah, you got like a 10-foot uh, selfie stick there. Yep. And I guess you can clean up after. I'm taking pictures that nobody else can take. Oh, yeah. That's true. You, you may be taking pictures nobody else would want to take. Well, now I don't have to inconvenience you. Because yeah. I know you don't like taking pictures of me. That was weird. You always would, you know, just can you just take one real fast? Yeah, glad, glad, glad you're moving along on that. Hey, today we're going to be talking about climate change, but maybe in a different way than we might normally uh, take it on. It seems like climate change creates conflict because you may not like solutions. Uh, you may not like the science that was done. It creates conflict. So is there a way to talk about climate change Without engaging all the conflict. Hmm. Our, uh, I mean, our guest says, yeah, there is. There's a variety of topics you could use this sort of method, I guess, with, too. I mean, because there's all sort of hot right. issues that you right. just don't bring up at family dinner. And-, and and a lot of what I think we're going to learn from this uh, expert is you if you keep focusing on the most divisive thing, you may not ever move on from the most divisive thing. So maybe – if we just if we if we can just not figure out how it happened or why it happened, we might be able to actually start figuring out how we could handle it. Right? It's not about blaming anyone, it's about figuring out how you handle it. When couples come in and talk to me, we could spend hours figuring out who was the idiot that caused the whole problem. 
Isn't it pretty easy? It's it's usually both. Okay, go ahead. Right? And, um, but also, I've never seen a relationship get better because we know that one person was an idiot. At some point, you got to figure out, okay, what are we going to do to at least improve the condition? Mm-hmm. If this, if our marriage has gone through this trouble, what can we do to right now start making it better? And if we're, if our Earth is going through this issue, what can we do right now to make it different, to make it better, to make it healthier? We'll get into that. Pretty interesting uh, little take today. Also, of course, we'll be getting to the empty news, Matt Townsend news. I, I guess a lot of people think we're saying the word empty, like empty. Wow. No, no, no. It's MT news. Nobody thinks that. It's empty news, Matt Townsend news. It's good. It's good stuff. You don't have to take it personally. Well, I'm starting to get offended. Like, they think it's <laughs> well, empty. I don't think you've actually received any feedback. That, no, I have. Oh, you have? Yeah. My mom, man, she calls. Sounds like it's empty. She said, she said all of her friends listen and they think the show's empty. Hmm. I'm like, mm. it is empty. I don't know. I don't know. What do you do? Yeah. I mean, you, I mean you've explained it multiple times. And I can't make it clearer. M. T. Boom. <sighs> anyway, we'll get to all that. Maybe fun. it's the way you're pronouncing it. You think? That's confusing. Yeah, maybe. It's your accent. Maybe I need to just slow down and say M T mm. news. Well, we don't have time for that. Yeah, there's a huge Just do it there. differently, but not that way. Let's call it MTN. That's different. Okay. MTN? MT news, like CNN, MTN. Matt Townsend News. Maybe maybe we need a sounder to announce yeah. the MTN News. Yeah, let's start doing Except that. Except that's redundant. It's just MTN. Yeah. Just do it right. Welcome to MTN. Anyway, we'll figure it out for you folks. But uh, before we get to all that fun, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what is going on around the rest of the country? President Trump's first budget is out this morning. $1.1 trillion in total titled America First, A Budget Blueprint to Make America Great Again. Titles are... A strength with this administration. Uh, proposed deep sweeping cuts. Federal government scientific and medical research would eliminate federal support for National Endowment for the Arts and the Humanities outright. While many expect cuts to the Environmental Protection Agency and the Energy Department, the breadth of the moves comes as a shock to some, including the slashing of agencies that have long enjoyed bipartisan support. Among them, a proposed $6 billion cut to the National Institutes of Health, or one-fifth of its 2016 budget. The NIH sends about 80% of its budget to 300,000 outside researchers, meaning the dramatic cuts would send shockwaves across the scientific community. Wow. More broadly, other science programs will be terminated completely, including NASA's satellite program, the Monitor's solar storms, and Earth's climate, the EPA's program to clean up the Chesapeake Bay, and the accident probing arm of the Chemical Safety Board. The Trump plan would also end federal involvement with the Corporate for Public Broadcasting, so Big Bird, but he went to HBO, so maybe they saw yeah. this coming. Who knows? With the EPA cuts alone, some 3,200 jobs will be eliminated. There's also a $4.1 billion ask or allotment for the border wall. Hold it. $4.1 billion. Hold it. Yeah. $4.1 billion, but I, the, I thought the Mexican government was going to pay for that. Well, it's in the budget. though. It's a reimbursement program. Well, but then why are they, yeah, so why are they... We pay for it, and then we'll get it paid back. Oh. That's how it's going to work. Aren't they building a tunnel now? Yeah. 
Mexico. Yeah, I think they're going to build yeah, a tunnel they, they, under they the wall. The, the Great the border International tunnel. Border Tunnel. The second great dig or a big dig <laughs> or whatever. The U.S. District uh, Judge Derek K. Watson of Hawaii froze President Trump's new executive order on Wednesday, which sought to temporarily bar the issue uh, issuance of new visas to citizens from six Muslim-majority countries and suspend the admission of new refugees. Watson was one of three judges to hear the arguments Wednesday about freezing the ban, including a federal judge in Maryland and the same federal uh, the same federal judge in Washington who suspended Trump's first travel ban was set to hear arguments later in the day. Lawyers in Hawaii argue that the revised ban violates the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment because they deem it to be essentially a Muslim ban, hurts the ability of business and universities to recruit talent, and damages the Hawaii tourism industry. Here's President Trump at a rally last night in Nashville. This ruling makes us look weak, which, by the way, we no longer are, believe me. Just look at our borders. We're going to fight this terrible ruling. We're going to take our case as far as it needs to go, including all the way up to the Supreme Court. We're going to win. We're going to keep our citizens safe. Ready to okay. go. Yeah. The rally also featured a uh, rousing locker up chant from the audience still so but that's still going on he's still yeah. running for office okay um a second federal judge her her her, her hillary i think there's yeah, gonna Hil- be a beat hillary right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. there's yeah. gonna be a day when people don't even know who they're referring to when they say lock her up and they're like yeah my wife lock her up <laughs> she drives me crazy a second federal judge this morning in maryland has blocked a portion of the trump's travel ban uh the restraining order is narrow it was handed down uh, – Then, what was handed down in Hawaii, it targets a portion of Trump's order that prevents citizens of the six majority Muslim countries from being able to issue – being issued a visa. So Maryland and Hawaii both have stays on – or there was, it was supposed to go into effect today, I believe. Boy. So the travel ban, popular. Okay. okay. Um, also, a London-based tour operator – maybe a vacation option for you. Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. London-based tour operator will soon offer people the chance to dive down to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean to see the Titanic. Oh, wow. That'd be cool. So starting May 2018, the company Blue Marble Private will begin taking groups of nine people on eight-day journeys that end in the first-hand look at the ship that sunk in 1912. The trip will begin in Newfoundland, Canada, where the group will take a helicopter to an expedition support yacht. Okay. Set up near the wreckage. The, the old uh, expedition support yacht. Yeah. After days of adjusting to the environment and learning about the logistics of the dive business, Insider reports a specially designed titanium and carbon fiber submersible will lower divers, accompanied by a crew of experts, sure. into water as deep as 13,000 feet. But the chance to swim over to the shipwreck won't come cheap. The trip is estimated to cost how much? $10,000 $105,000 per wow. person. Wow. Why can't we just go watch that uh, documentary yeah. that James Cameron made? Because he did Titanic. No, he did Titanic, yeah, and then that... he did another one. It was like Ghosts of the Abyss or something well, like that. Why would you want to? Why wouldn't you just rather just watch the Titanic? Because then you get because to see it. Because that was in a highly glory fictionalized movie. No, I mean there was a ship that sunk called the Titanic, yeah. but everything else in that movie, I guess the names were the same. Well, and the lady with the diamond thing. Well, oh, that really happened. Yeah. Okay. Man, there was truth muddled with fiction. Um, what's interesting, the $105,000 fee per person, uh-huh. equivalent to what first-class passengers would have had to pay to actually ride on the Titanic. Whoa. Seriously. Yeah. Adjusting for inflation and all that good stuff. Well, now, um, I, I assume this uh, yacht, what was it called again? The, submersible. The, uh, well, there's the expedition support yacht. The expedition support yacht. I'm assuming it would be watching out for icebergs. 
Because wouldn't that be crazy? Right. If history repeated yeah. itself? Iceberg. You know what they ought to do? They ought to charge different prices for these tickets based on class. And the people that pay less can be more toward the bowel of this submersible. Ooh. So they're in more danger, but they don't have to pay as much. Huh. That's a great trade your safety for yeah. cheaper prices. You want a discount? We put you in the we put you in the bottom in the bowels. And, and if you want to pay like ten bucks, they'll just strap yeah. you right to the side of the boat. Not a bad idea. You'll be the bumper. You know what else you could do is take off if you really want to fit more people in. Take off all the lifeboats mm. and just make the places they would put lifeboats boats just have little like bunk rooms where they could right. just stuff more people in. Or let them go for free, but they can't be in the submersible and just see how long they can last with the extreme pressure down there. Okay. See, do we have to think of everything? Yeah. These are great ideas. Safety is expensive. You start peeling away those those layers yeah. of safety, it's going to be a cheap, cheap, cheap trip for it you. It seems like there's more and more fun activities for incredibly wealthy people. It seems like it. If you have money, it could be fun. When are they going to... You know, find an activity just for the average person. Hmm. You know, it used to be you could go to a basketball game, a pro basketball game or pro football game. Now that's just for the wealthy. It is. The yeah. prices are crazy. Yeah. I, I got a, a Groupon for a pro basketball game recently, and I still was like, it costs this much with a Groupon? Yeah. Um, that's a funny word. Groupon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I thought Groupon had actually gone out of business, but I was – yeah, I was surprised. My wife's like, "Hey, there's a Groupon." I go, "What? Did what? You, on what? Do you need a doctor to look at that? What, what are you talking about?" <laughs> that's not. That's <laughs> not good. So um, Donald Trump is apparently making a lot of cuts. Well, which it, he said he would do. The budget is a wish list. Yeah, it's not like this is going to happen in in its entirety. It's so a wish list for for yeah. He, he made a lot of promises running. He put all those promises in a budget. He sends that to Congress. They figure out which ones they want and which ones won't work. Is it true that I saw in the news something as as simple as um, Meals on Wheels could go away? Yes. Well, but how would those people eat? Well, we're, we're a bootstrap nation, Matt. We we like to do things on our own. We don't want handouts and welfare is evil. Well, they, you just take away the wheels. <laughs> We've got the budget for the meals, just yeah. not the wheels. So do you want wheels or meals? you got to choose. But see, because a lot of that was done by volunteers anyway, wasn't it? I thought that a lot of volunteers were involved. I don't know. Oh, no. There was a lot of racketeering going on there. Really? Yeah. Just Not just volunteering. Racketeering. It seems like um, – so the Congress is going to then look at all this and say, yeah, we're going to keep meals on wheels. There's already Republicans kind of pushing back on many aspects of this. So it's not just going to be a rubber stamp Okay. From- the ruling party, if you yeah. will. I mean, it just seemed like it's a great idea. Let's now, save money. but Every president has their list. They have their wish list, and it gets pared down to something more manageable. And Yeah. Yeah. And he's also, as part of the budget, increasing spending um, for defense. Oh, yeah. $54 billion. He's going to spend $54 billion on defense? More. Defense is going to cost a lot more than that. We're not talking about the border fence. Oh, I see. I thought you were just all of a sudden talking funny. That's only going to cost $4 billion. Yeah. But, of course, we're not paying for it except it's in the budget. Well, it's a rebate system. Oh, so. So you pay for it. Then yeah. you fill out the little form. Oh, cut, and then. Clip your little UPC symbol, staple it to it, and send it off to the, the company. And, oh, then, you know, in six to eight oh, months, they send you the check. They'll send you the check. Yeah. Oh, so we'll just invoice. Yeah. 
Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> makes, makes a lot of sense. Apparently, too, Coast Guard budget oh, yeah. is going to be cut as well. Almost wiped out, yeah. But I thought the Coast Guard was part of the defense. It's the it's the it's a border that we have an ocean, so we're fine. We need to worry about that. Yeah, but we would need. To, it seems like we need to guard the coast. It's the walking part of the border they're concerned about, not the part where you can take a boat and just you know. There's Russian okay. ships out there. So I mean, okay. So uh, we have fences uh-huh. for I guess the land part right. of the country, but the water part we don't have fences. We have coast guard. Well, that's the idea. And yeah. then, but if the then the Coast Guard could be cut, yeah. so then I guess we just build like a wall in the water. Could we make them invisible fences? Then we could call them hidden fences. Oh. Great movie, by the way. Hidden figures, that is. No such movie as hidden fences. We will take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to be talking climate change. Is there a way to actually have a conversation about the divisive climate change topic? Without it turning so divisive. Stick with us. Helping you walk through the hard talk. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, for all of the hot air expended on the topic of uh, climate change. We don't know how to talk about it very well, do we? Here with us today to discuss talking about climate change and doing it across the aisle is Thomas Bateman. Thomas is a professor of management at the University of Virginia. Professor Bateman specializes in organizational behavior, and he conducts research on leadership, problem-solving, motivation, decision-making, personality, stress, and on and on the list goes. Uh, Thomas Bateman, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, good morning, Matt. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Now, how does a business professor even, A, want to dive into the climate uh, change issue because it's so contentious? And, and what drove you there? What made you so interested in, in wanting to get involved in this discussion? Well, nice opening question. I won't give you a long history, but I was in high school during the first Earth Day, and I, so that would have been 1970, and that left a lasting image, but, but it was not part of my work for, for decades thereafter. Uh, I am kind of theoretically and practically interested in human behavior generally, especially in the workplace, and a particular type of human behavior called proactive behavior, which is behavior that is forward-looking, problem-oriented, action-oriented, trying to create a better future than the path we are currently on. That's great. And just recent years, climate change has become a fascination. Well, and it's, it's, I think it's, you know, needed. Um, As we've all seen, the debate rages on. It seems like you're kind of, uh, some will just disregard some of the data, some um, don't flat out trust the data. Some are inventing data, many would argue. It, but no matter what it is, it seems like something that's impacting all of us, and yet we're so divided on it, we can't even talk about it. How how do you propose, you know, what are some of the principles we would use to start even having a conversation that would go anywhere? Uh, well, first, let me say I appreciate what you just said and that attitude. And I actually think a lot of people agree with you, but not everybody is willing to, to say that because yeah. 
conversation so often go in the wrong direction. And to, to, to take just a little step back, uh, it, it was a, a decade ago, Republicans and Democrats alike were in agreement about, the, about what's happening and about the importance of taking action. And famously, I'll bet you'll remember Nancy Pelosi and Newt Gingrich did a television commercial together. Yep, right. Where they're sitting on a park bench and saying how they never agree, except now they agree about climate change uh, and the need to do something. Well, it was at the, about that time, though, that the economy crashed. And uh, people only have a kind of a finite pool of of worry that they can they can allocate. The economy became front and center, and climate change went to the back burner. And then politics became nastier, and people started stereotyping each other much more quickly and nastily. And uh, and now climate change, as complicated as it is, as it is it's usually discussed in very. Mm, gross, simple terms, and we quickly stereotype someone who disagrees with us, us, and then the the conversation goes nowhere. Right. And yet it is still a global issue. And um, and the other thing, I guess, too, and you use a metaphor in your article that, you know, the train, the train has left the station. The train is on the move. The global, I mean, it is what it is. It's the train is on the move. And we've got to, at some point, it seems like come together on um, solutions, but one of the problems, I guess, is that we end up fighting so much about causes and um, the data that we don't actually start moving toward any, you know, you know, fixes. How how, how is is that is that a pretty typical conflict, you know, approach? Uh, what you just said is right on the money, and of course that brings us right to the article that caught your attention uh, with my colleague Kieran O'Connor. We thought it was time to try to change the conversation. When people have argued, it has often been about the science, although scientists don't argue among right. themselves. That's clear, as you know. Uh, and it has also been about whether it's man-made or not, uh, that is man, human-caused or not. Uh, and there, two scientists don't argue with one another, but a lot of people deny that. Uh, we wanted to, Those are classic arguments, like you said. We wanted to change the focus to solutions. And we did a study trying to figure out what solutions people disagree on the most or, or, or might agree on a little bit more. Uh, we wanted to, I'm calling it a, a strategic solution, the kind of the psychology underlying uh, strategies for dealing with climate change. Uh, and that's what we were interested in. And, and, and I, I think you want to know more about what we did and what we found. Yeah. Br- briefly, there, there are two broad strategic solutions. One is mitigation, and a second is adaptation. Uh, a third that we didn't study, it's very new, and we will study it soon, I hope, is geoengineering, which, as you know, is now talked about. Uh, but it's more of a futuristic thing. Uh, uh, mitigation and adaptation have been the main, uh, main, main strategic solution. So mitigation is to cut back on carbon and other uh, emissions that affect global warming, uh, to cut, cut down at the source, uh, not release as much into the air. And then adaptation is to make changes in the way we live so that we can cope with the changes being brought about. Hmm. And, we, and we did, in fact, find interesting differences between those two strategies. So one's kind of a – one is the traditional let's, let's, let's mitigate this, let's decrease emissions. Another is uh, we're going to have to start adapting. It's, it's, a, it's an adapting strategy of 
you know, how do we adapt to warmer temperatures, uh, rising sea levels? Um, and then it's a really interesting thing I can see you're doing here, Thomas, that maybe might be lost on a few people because they might just immediately jump into, well, we can't just adapt. I mean, we got to stop it. And then there's the others that, that have got to, you know, that, that don't want to work on cutting back emissions. But what you're doing, and, and there's a whole form of this in therapy as well called solution-based therapy, mm. when people come in and sit down and we could spend forever talking about why they're anxious and, you know, was it their parents? Was it their genes? Was it what's going on? And, and we could talk about that or we could start to identify what would it look like if we were no longer impl- influenced by this? How would we act different? How would we be different? And by getting into solutions, you tend to create some movement and some activity that eventually would allow you to come back with less reactivity using your word, to uh, or proactivity, to, to deal with the other issues that need to be solved. Really nice comment and a good analogy right there. So just as you said about solution-based therapy, uh, uh, the stuff we're talking about is, is, as you said, solutions. It is not so much focused in the past and who caused it and, and whether the data show or not show, although the data are clear again, yeah. uh, nor is it rooted in the present and what, what we're thinking about right at this moment. It is forward-looking. And so back to our results, which I know you're interested in. Uh, first, I think very importantly, people were uh, did distinguish sort of psychologically between the two strategies, mitigation versus adaptation. The, the basic difference is clear. Uh, and that's useful. That's a useful starting point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's not. Yep. And uh, and as you might guess, uh, we we measured conservatism and liberalism self reports, and conservatives were less likely to embrace either of those, and liberals hmm. were more likely to embrace both of those. However, they also they, the two strategies were were seen differently. And the m- most interesting finding is that whereas liberals and conservatives disagreed in every way, there was less disagreement around, around uh, adaptation. Uh, so strong disagreement on mitigation, mm. as might be guessed. Yeah. Adaptation generated less disagreement, and it might be an acknowledgment that conservatives do know we have to do something. Yeah, absolutely. Republicans on the Hill know we have to do something. Mm-hmm. But the political climate isn't such to to take much action. Well, and it seems like um, when we talk about adaptation, uh, when you start getting into discussions about how to – you know, raise up your your roads so that they're they don't they're not deteriorating from ocean and oceans and waves. And when you have to start ad- adapting to the future of um, global warming, it, it would seem that as people have to start spending money, creating solutions, exercising energy, they would also maybe alter some of their views on why this is happening. The minute you have to throw down a dollar. To fix something, you also don't want to make you you don't want to have to keep doing that if people are going to keep creating the problem. Uh, right, I agree with that completely, and uh, others would too. But actually, you're you're getting at what is a not only a very interesting question theoretically, but also hugely important practically. Uh, some people think that as we start as we adapt, and of course some communities and some countries are doing more than others, but adaptation is expensive, and as people see those costs in the short term, maybe they will come to realize we need to 
mitigate also, mm-hmm. and the net will be less expensive and more impactful in yeah. a positive way. But there's a very definite other alternative, and we just don't know what's going to happen. When people do start adapting, it will be easy to say, well, we're doing stuff, and therefore true. we're doing our part. That's true. Uh, and then there's a lot of, there's kind of a, what's called psychological license to drop the ball in other ways. So to keep multiple solutions going at once will be a big, big human challenge. That is, that's true. I mean, we're doing something. I've had a, we had a, a, a friend on the show who is the CEO of an energy company in the West, and they own a lot of coal mines and they own a lot of, uh, they own trains that bring the coal in. They, I mean, they've invested heavily in coal and Yet these people that are all scientists too um, and own coal plants are also in the adaptive phase. While they, while they push back on some of the mitigation, they are adapting and finding other ways that they could invest and retool and regenerate uh, and, and still be an energy leader through adapting. And so it, it was, it's funny to me because I've, I've heard of the battle and all the issues with global warming. I hear it and I hear it. And then I have an executive of a coal plant basically come in and he's like, oh yeah, no, no, we're trying, we're, we're, we're going cleaner in, in non-coal related energies as well. And I'm thinking, what? How come nobody hears about this? So I guess this is this is why you, as a kind of a, a business expert and a, and an organizational behavior expert, is studying this because this is human behavior. This is organizational behavior. Uh, yes. Once again, I love your comment. Love your example. The, the private sector has long been. I mean, people think of the extractive industries being antagonists, and some some companies, of course, are antagonism antagonistic toward pro, uh, progressive action on climate change. Uh, but you're quite right. Generally, the private sector is far more knows the, the importance of the economy, knows the importance both long term and short term to their firms. Uh, a lot of people st- stereotype climate action as an environmentalist cause. Mm. And that's all well and good for environmentalists and people who, uh, who, who embrace that cause and others who are sympathetic to that cause. But the fact of the matter is climate action, name an issue and climate change will affect it in a negative way right from from economics uh to uh, uh migration of human populations uh to uh humanitarian aid to war to food and water if if you're not extremely extremely antagonistic to climate change if you can give yourself a one percent chance that maybe climate change is important and 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 the things you read in here start to start to be considered a little bit more people can come to realize just pick a problem any problem and climate change is a root cause in some fashion oh yeah so and industries most of industry sees that powerful well and it really i mean and and let's let's actually let's take a break cuz i want to get into when we come back we just tend to it seems like be more reactive animals than the proactive you're talking about and um, so we react to, you know, the big global environmental concern and all the hooey that's being spewed out there. But 
there's certain basic beliefs we all have that still jive with taking care of the environment, even if you don't like environmentalists, right? Um, so we'll get into that. Um, proactive versus reactive. How do we talk about global warming without becoming reactive? Stick with us. More with Thomas Bateman when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you learn to talk through the difficult stuff. Welcome back, friends. We're talking about climate change and even maybe more importantly, we're talking about how we talk about difficult issues like climate change. Uh, On the phone with us is Thomas Bateman. He's a professor that specializes in organizational behavior uh, and is a professor of management at the University of Virginia and conducts research on leadership, problem-solving, motivation, decision-making issues. Today, he's talking to us about um, some work he's been doing on how we could talk maybe more effectively about about climate change. Thomas Bateman, thank you again for being with us. Pleasure. Thank you, Matt. So one of the things that you brought up is you, your specialty is in um, this uh, the research on proactivity as, as kind of being an active solution-oriented problem solver of issues. Um, but when it comes to climate change, how do you not – how does the issue – because if everybody has polarized it and they all have kind of their interpretation, their view of what it is – how do aren't isn't everybody acting proactively on their beliefs and if their beliefs are wrong or incomplete not wrong but incomplete not whole then our proactivity only makes this more complicated doesn't it well i'd say that if people are acting based on their beliefs so they're acting consistent with their beliefs uh but i would i see proactivity as taking a step, taking an action that, that constitutes a change, mm. a change in direction, a change in, in the status quo. Uh, and, that would, and when people have conversations, far more often than not, they, they talk with the, their friends, they talk with the usual people, they talk with people, they, in the case of climate change, uh, who have the same attitudes that they do. So it's, it's business as usual, whatever side of the debate a person is in. Most people are routinely going about their conversations in the same kinds of ways with the same people. Mm. So an act of proactivity, and by the way, I think climate action is the ultimate in proactivity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, good. Uh, uh, but also little things like changing the conversation is, an, is a proactive action. To pick somebody different to talk with who might think differently, to approach the conversation in a different way from what you normally do, to go in not expecting a fight, but maybe go in wanting to learn Mm. a different perspective. That's all proactive in the sense of trying to change the way you yourself operate, including in conversation with other people. And that's one of the I mean, that's part of that, I guess, is if I go in willing to learn, then another proactive change is to you know, think win-win. How can we both win this? Um, and and I, I worked a lot with Stephen Covey, 
And I know um, proactivity, be proactive is the number one principle in his seven habits of highly effective um, people. Does talk about um, talk about how you actually then implemented? How how would one go in Thomas and start to be proactive and make a change uh, real time with a person on this discussion? Uh, well, you meant so. Just to say, just to just to summarize quickly the results of our study again, which again is what caught your interest. Uh, choosing the subject of solutions, where do we go from here? is by and large a very different topic from the topics people usually use to study, right. uh, to talk for conversation. Uh, and likewise, to choose somebody different uh, is a proactive step. Uh, you mentioned Stephen Covey, of course. Uh, one of his other habits, great habits, is, how does he put it, Dove? Seek first to understand, understand then to be understood. And then to be understood, right? So uh, listening as opposed to telling uh, asking questions as opposed to telling, that can be a two-way street. That's the, the starting fo- point for a good conversation. And substantively, aside from solutions, you can learn you can learn why people think the way they do. There are reasons to not act on climate change. It's not easy. It does cost money. By the there are things like mm, faith-based reasons to not act on climate change. That is to say, who are we to, to uh, manipulate the, the, you know, God's creation? Uh, there, there are other faith-based reasons to mm-hmm. act on, on climate change. So if people have a commonality with regard to faith, they can explore the different perspectives and who knows what they, what they can come to talk to. Uh, they can come, come to some agreement on. Um, by the way, to Another reason that uh, makes people either not want to have the conversation or not get get very far in the conversation is a belief that it's impossible. What can I do, just one little person, in the face of this wicked problem? Yeah, it's just too Uh, big to handle. And yes, yes, right. But uh, we can accomplish more in combination with other people as opposed to all by ourselves. And conversation is the is the building block of change. Yeah. We also, by talking to other people, can come to realize what actions are available to us. And even little things, I mean, people think of recycling, but just voting, just putting pressure on an elected official, uh, just... Uh, there's an organization I know called the Association of Climate Change Officers, based in Washington D.C. So, any any listeners who are who work in the domain of, of sustainability or environmental issues or climate change per se, there is now a formal association in D.C. Uh, uh, to which to which anybody uh, can join. Um, so, so little things can snowball into more collective uh, uh, action. And part of it is it's fun to it's a fascinating topic, and fun to explore possibilities in conversation with others. Oh, it's so, and really that is community, right? That's how we create a closeness to people. It seems like one of the the number one things we could communicate about is, and you almost have to defer to the other first, and you have to do this with some sense of humility um, and a real desire to learn is. Help me understand how how you see it. I, I think so many of us don't know why we think the way we think necessarily. Um, 
and they would be almost uncovering the hidden bias or the hidden issues or even uncover my incongruencies because I, I may I may hate to be told what to do, but I also believe God gave me an earth and I should be a good steward of it. And I believe some of that stewardship is to get benefit out of it, but I also believe I need to take care of it. And yet I don't bring up any of the God belief stuff. Um, I just fight that, you know, don't tell me what to do. The science is bad. It, it, it seems like we've got to be willing to open up the more basic bias that we have or the incongruencies in our thinking. You, you said a lot of good things there, and I'll, I'll start by cycling back to your opening uh, uh uh, uh, phrase which had to do with community. Community is dysfunctional right now in the sense that activists talk to each other, environmental activists, climate activists talk to each other uh, and demonize the other side at the same time. Resistors, deniers, I mean, people do label and stereotype and use name calling, etc. And so we, we, people reaffirm with their like minded friends and de- are quick to demonize mm. the other side, and that is a two way street. Uh, so I don't know if this sounds like cliche. There's a huge difference between a debate uh, and, and enjoying arguing with people versus genuine dialogue. Absolutely. And anybody who cares to can easily Google the word dialogue or go to Amazon and, and enter the word dialogue and find very useful articles and books about Be- how to engage. Because one key to dialogue is suspending your certainty. And um, and another key is you you almost have to remain um, what's like the word like actively curious and and oh, yeah. right and just actively trying to understand the other's view because if I could understand your view more suspending mine it doesn't mean I give mine up then if you could suspend your view and actively understand my view in between those is where the new answers lie. Uh, right on. It's a lot. It's a lot more fun as well. Yeah. Uh, not to mention productive. I love this. I mean, uh, dial. I mean, so when you think about it, what's your goal now, Thomas? What, what's your next step with the research, and ha- how do you want to start moving your learning forward? Uh, well, thanks for that question. Uh, I do want people to. I, <laughs> I do, if I may say, have an, another recent article in the in a journal called Nature Climate Change, and it's about the need for more leaders, mm. which is to say not just scientists as leaders or public officials as leaders, but the average citizen to just take a little proactive initiative to start conversations and find niches to become active, find reasons to care. Uh, particular action strategies that have personal appeal and start talking and start growing the group of people who who uh, want to pursue the same the same kinds of things so i 'm calling for more climate leaders period more numbers of yeah. average people well yeah the uh, average people that would probably be very helpful uh, yes uh, and that includes by the way pressure pressure on Congress people yeah too. right. To to care about this. Uh, In in cycling back to some earlier things, uh, research-wise, I do think it's huge. We have to maintain uh, an interest and a focus on multiple solutions. And of course, engineers and scientists are doing that. And there are lots of there are lots of solutions that we that we know of. Um, But it's a psychological and leadership thing to 
you know, make them happen and to make them happen in the appropriate mix of mitigation and adaptation. Yeah. As far as my research with Kieran O'Connor, uh, we would love to do studies soon, not only about adding engine, geoengineering, which is a, another fascinating topic with great risks, as you know, but, but some potential, and it's in the air now for discussion. I want to find out, is, if, as people start taking action, does that mean they'll drop balls in other ways? Hmm. We need to keep multiple solutions moving forward. No, I love it. Good stuff, Thomas. Great to talk to you, and I appreciate the work you're doing. Um, we'll have you back on to, to continue this discussion and figure out more ways to lead on the climate issue. Um, and again, it doesn't mean you have to be extreme in any way, shape, or form. You could just accept what's happening. And let's start to be the solutions. Let's start to Let's start to create the conversations, the community, instead of just you know, throwing out your view and running. Let's talk. Figure stuff out. This is the Matt Townsend Show, folks, helping you be the change in the world. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. So we sit here, we talk about talking and it's so enlightening to think if i could put the some of the top leaders on both sides of the argument without the idea of arguing but let's seriously figure out what we have in common it might create some different ideas um where this is getting a lot of attention is uh, apparently with the big snowstorm that was supposed to destroy the the northeast there were certain parts that got almost two feet of snow yeah. but bigger cities were missed yeah Thousands, like 8,000 flights were canceled. So a lot of um, congressmen had to get to D.C. without flights. So many drove. And there's a lot of talk about some of the funny relationships like, you know, in some states you don't share the same, you know, party identity with everyone in your state. So two congressmen, uh, Representative Will Hurd um, and – Two Texas lawmakers, basically, hmm. Will Hurd and Rep- Representative Beto O'Rourke, a Democrat and a Republican, were in a car for a 1,600-mile journey. Boy. And for 1,600 miles, they had nothing but time to talk. And they had different personalities. One of them liked stopping everywhere and meeting everyone. The other one just kind of wanted to get there. <laughs> just get there. And they all had to get back because there was a big vote that they had to vote on. And anyway, they they talk about the fact that so many things were discussed that they actually were able to find some togetherness. Hmm. Like in this budget, we've got to get employees working again. You remember how President Trump put a stay on the um, on the hiring yeah. at mm-hmm. in the government? Well, the Republican totally agreed with that. That's totally true. Except the Democrat pointed out that the VA can't hire people. They can't move people. They can't get doctors working because there's a freeze. It's really hurt them, yeah. And now that has influenced the Republican to say we've got to get we've got to get the VA working. We got to we've right. got to open up some some channels for hiring in the government. So what you you have a discussion with somebody else and you might find out yeah. something new. Not weird. So I think what it's we have crazy. to do it's a very simple solution. We mandate that uh, a, a Republican and a Democrat have to drive at least 1,600 miles with each other every year. 
Create the odd couple. Create the odd couple. Nice. Just a simple solution, folks. I don't know why no one else has thought about it. We can't do everything. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on this side. Happy days. Hope you're having a great uh, day so far. Remember, it's... Uh, it's your life, and you only get one of them to live. So let us help give you some ideas. Some of them will even be important. Other than that, just make it the best you can. For some reason, you just made me think of two different songs, and I want to know which one you think is better. It's uh, My Life by bon- Billy Joel, jo- or It's My Life by Bon Jovi. Uh, I, I Right then, I went with the John Bon Jovi. Really? Over yeah. Billy Joel? Yeah, and normally I would choose Billy Joel, but I think I'm also a Bon Jovi fan. But you're not a 50-year-old woman. Right. Boy, good, good point. It's a great good point. point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's an amazingly good point. Uh, I'm not a 50-year-old woman. I'm a 50-year-old, 47-year-old They prefer to man. be referred to as a woman of a certain age. Yeah. It's nicer. Nobody really wants to be identified by their age. No, not really. Except, by the way, you know, anyone under 10. Yeah. That's a big deal. So you don't see age then? No. Oh, wow. Which is why you felt it was okay to ridicule me as a baby. Mm. Yeah. He's kind of back to a corner there. Oh, you, you still Yesterday. haven't over that? Nope. Wow. And I just proved you wrong. Wow. How does that feel, Matt? Well, he proved me wrong 24 hours later. Not quite the impact, In a completely right? different discussion. Yeah. Well, hmm. huh. um, Small victories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, – here's a, here's an interesting thing. I, I relate now better with President Trump than ever. And we'll, are, you, are you getting a wig stapled to your head? Or? No, we'll okay. get into this because – That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I didn't know health care was as complicated as it is. Neither did he, apparently. I know. Or anyone else. And, well, I don't want to – we don't have time right now, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm a mayor of a city of now about 45,000 people. Oh, wow. It grew. I know. It's growing like crazy. Wow. And so we'll talk about it. Do you have incentives to get people to come to your city? Or? No, no, no. I just create this incredible city that everyone wants to be in. But oh, okay. we weren't providing health care. Are you now? Well, now I have to. Because so you're socialist is what you're saying. As our city has grown, we've got to have hospitals. And anyway, I had like 98 percent happiness s- levels, and you're we start were communal it. farms next. Is that what you're going to do? Well, I don't want to, but okay. it seems like this is what the people want. But it's it's running me out. It's expensive, and I can't I can't afford it. So I know we need to get to the news here in a second, but when we I, I do want to come back to this topic. Yeah, because uh, you're you're making it sound like everybody in you call it – there are two names. You call it Townton Abbey and yeah. Town Town. No, it's now Townton Abbey. And oh. Town Town is like the downtown part of Townton Abbey. Ooh, the Town- historic part of the Town Abbey, yeah. There are some people that in, in your town, it's forever ingrained in their minds that it's Town Town and yeah. – yeah. I've, I've gotten word that not everybody is happy. Change is hard. 
Oh, so you've been talking to my people on SimCity. Yes. And can you name one name that you talked to? I will not reveal my sources. Wow. But Beatrice Merriweather. <laughs> after the news, yeah. you can hear from this citizen who is not happy Holy at all. Holy cow. Interview from one of my um, Not an interview. Oh. She's going to speak to us through song. An expose. Oh great. Oh, I know music. who it is. I know who it is. Yeah. She's still around? We'll wow. get there. So we'll get to that. I can hardly wait. Uh, also, the stress-proof brain. Is there, is, it, is there a way to stress-proof your brain? You know, like you waterproof something? Right. What if we could stress-proof it? Hmm. So, you, you, you know, you're impervious to stress. It doesn't increase your, your it, chemical levels. It doesn't make you turn into a crazy, crazy person. What if you choose just not to care about anything? Well, you say that, but your body itself will still respond to stress. If I put you under stress, you can no, say no, no. I'm not going to respond to it. I, but your I would body, feel it coming and I would leave. Yeah. But so, that, see, that's, that's not an actual fix. That's just an avoidance. So don't care about anything. Always be on time. Uh, let's see. What else? Don't lie. Those are three things right there that you would, can de-stress yeah. your brain. But like – what about just, you know, the fact that you lost a job? Don't accept a job. Or don't accept the fact that you lost the job. Yeah, just that. Well, but so your boss says you're fired and you say, no, I'm not. Just walk out of the room. Well, OK. What's and then just do? come back the very next day. Well, then what do you do when security's there? And they're like, oh, no, you can't go in. I don't recognize your right to grab me and throw me out of the building. And then when they tase you, what do you do other than gyrate on the floor? That's not a taser. <laughs> Just deny it. That's not a tape. <laughs> okay. No, there's limits to this. See, because eventually you can deny it all you want, but eventually the stress is going to get you. So we'll be talking about how to stress-proof your brain. Also, we'll be talking later about how to declutter your digital life. A lot of people very cluttered in the phone area in life. They keep everything. How to declutter with Caitlin Thomas? I know. Yeah. Get a landline. <laughs> you know, I mean, these cable yeah. companies are still force jamming it down our throats anyway. Right. With the triple play. Yeah. They're hanging on for dear life. Now what's going to happen? They though, know that the cell phone is a thing now. Wait till they start telemarketing your cell phone. Already happening. Yeah. Not good. We'll get to all that fun. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country? President Trump sent his first budget proposal to Congress this morning. Trump seeks to raise the budget for the Defense Department by $54 billion and give more modest boosts to the Department of Veterans Affairs and Homeland Security, mostly for building Trump's Mexico border wall and hiring more border agents. The cut, and he'll basically, as it says here, cut everything else. 19 agencies will see... Uh, Reductions in budgets. The State Department and Environmental Protection Agency will see the steepest cuts, 29% and 31% respectively. The budget would eliminate all funding for 19 agencies, including the National Endowment for the Arts, National Endowment for the Humanities, Corporate for Public Broadcasting, PBS and NPR, the Legal Services Corporation, the Chemical Safety Board, and the Appalachian Regional Commission. Not sure what that is, but they're going to cut money there, too. The presidential budget is a wish list of what the White House would like to see happen. Congress decides how the final budget will be crafted. So we'll see how that uh, negotiation goes forward. During a speech in Nashville Wednesday night, President Trump blasted a Hawaii judge. 
uh, decision to put a freeze on his revised executive order, which sought to temporarily bar the issuance of new visas to citizens from six Muslim-majority countries and suspend the admission of new refugees. The order he blocked was a watered-down version of the first one, Trump said. (laughs) This is, in the opinion of many, an unprecedented unprecedented judicial overreach. Here's more from President Trump. This new order was tailored to the dictates of the ninth circuits in my opinion flawed ruling this is in the opinion of many an unprecedented judicial overreach there you go so uh this morning president obama's former ethics lawyer who yeah. worked in the white house said that calling it a watered down version of the first one that was blocked would probably cause some legal issues in court when people bring that up again, well, you just said this is just the same version, just watered down a little bit. So it's still interesting. See what happens mm. when this goes to court. Some uh, see some more court time. The second federal judge this morning in Maryland has also blocked a portion of the travel ban. <sighs> According to a report in the Washington Post, House Speaker Paul Ryan said on Wednesday that his health care proposal has no ch- it has to change if it's going to pass the House. He has previously said that the legislation would fail if it was changed. The shift in Ryan's opinion came after a private meeting with the House Republicans on Wednesday. Now we have our score. We can make some necessary improvements and refinements to the bill, he said, referring to the uh, CBO's estimate, the impact on the number of those covered by the health insurance. Ryan did not say specifically what he would change. And finally, have you ever actually read the terms of services agreement that you have, say, with Apple or Google or Amazon or any of these companies? Is that the EULA? Yeah. No. The thing everyone goes, yes, and just clicks uh-huh. on through without even looking at it. No, you could ask for my first, third, and fifth born, and I've already agreed. So, yes. no, I don't. There's all kind of, a lot of what, uh, one of the things people point out is a lot of these companies, if you want to sue them, if you say yes on the terms of agreement, you've agreed to mediation instead. Yes. Which really helps the company out because then they don't have to go to court. Saves them lots really, of money. It doesn't help you out because you get a lower settlement if there's actual harm done. Ugh. It's something that people don't see. But an Australian consumer rights advocacy group, advocacy group called Choice, ha, they looked at the lengthy jargon and they think it, you know, as we are just talking about, it conceals strange clauses. It's unfair to expect consumers to wade through them. To highlight just how ridiculous it is, Choice hired an actor named Lawrence to read all seven what, 73,198 words of the Amazon Kindle terms uh, and conditions. Lawrence Olivier? His name's Lawrence. Oh, okay. Lawrence. Based on the estimation that 500 words is one page, that's 146 pages, and it took poor Lawrence nine hours to read the entire thing. They recorded it. It's all on YouTube if but, you'd like to watch a guy read the entire terms. But for an actor, that's nine hours of work. Yeah. Is it dramatized? <laughs> with music and how much can you dramatize an agreement well maybe there he throws in some character voices yeah, maybe he does sure. other voices that'd be fun like a little mickey mouse that's a good voice. point though nine hours of paid work so what are the uh, what are the what's the possibility matt that you're going to watch any of the nine hours of this presentation uh, i would say less than zero percent wow nice I don't like those percentages. That's pretty low. I mean, I watch a lot of dumb stuff. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm not watching that dumb stuff. Some dude sitting there reading. Yeah. I'm to just, whom it may concern. I just hope I don't have to sue Amazon. And it's a Kindle, too, so I don't know how yeah. in-depth that is. Mm. At least read something that you own. Say, like, your phone. Read the terms of agreement on that. Right, right. You have no terms of agreement because you just click OK and move. I'm, I'm, yeah. I agree. 
I'm termless. Want my third child? Here you go. Sounds like the type of legal mess that you would fi- that you would find in your city, Matt. Well, at Townton Abbey, um, my little – I used to call it my village, but it's now a village of 45,000 souls, digital souls. And um, I – yeah, I, I have a lot. I'm going I'm – now that's a great idea. I'm going to create a EULA, an end users licensing agreement for anyone in my city that if you have a problem, uh, you just need to keep yourself quiet mm. and move to another city. Well, there is one person in your city, at least, who is speaking. I think she's speaking for everybody. And uh, she makes it sound like it's not that easy to get out of town town, which is the heart of town to Nabby. And, yeah, she uh, really wants to warn other people from entering so why, downtown. Why would I let her do this on my show? Why would I want well, to go there? Well, she felt like it was a way of protecting her because now that this is out, oh. if something happens to her, uh-huh. then people will know the truth. They'll know what happened. Okay, but before I even listen to her, um, let's just be clear. I am going to be shifting police coverage and fire coverage in the city in the next few days. So if it so happens that her police coverage, sewage coverage, uh, fire coverage, and medical coverage disappears, it I mean no harm. Okay. Just based on what you said right there, I think the listeners will be able to sympathize okay. with this poor citizen. Okay. Let's, let's listen to her song, I guess. When you're alone and feeling down in the dumps, be grateful you don't live in town town. I have lived here a little less than a year, and it really blows town town. Just look at the incompetence of the mayor of the city. His power plants and public parks are anything but pretty. How did he win? The spies fly much higher here You can't escape all the humming Of drones in the air above Town, town You're gonna hate it here Town, town Get out while you can Town, town Everyone's watching you Town, town You'd better scurry, there's a mysterious slurry moving down the road. Town, town, don't hang around, the noxious gas will surround you and melt your clothes. Town, town, so head down to the border and immediately cross over, or you'll be decomposing long before the night is over, rotting alive. The nights are so scary here, so please remember we warned you, we told you to steer clear of town, town, a grimy place for sure, town, town, don't stay a minute more, town, town, death is waiting for you, town, 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 town. So she's got some serious, maybe valid concerns about the safety and uh, both 
you know, personal safety and also physical safety. No. No. You're denying those allegations. No, I'm not. I I am denying them. She's um let's just say Look, I love B Arthur more than the next guy. I mean, she's great. It's just that was B Arthur, right? That's her name. Well, past didn't, actress. Didn't B Arthur die a decade or so ago? Yeah. Some would I think. I think we know why now. Well, yeah, no. She everyone thinks she died. She actually lives in town Townton Abbey. And that was her because I'd recognize her voice. So a million. I think she's gone. Away. So either either the slurry got her, or you sent your drones on her. No, we don't have drones yet. By the way, I, I do have drones coming, but so, I don't have drones yet. Um, no, th- this woman, um, we'll just call her B, because uh, she sings with a really bass voice. Um, she's. She's wonderful, nice, nice bee, we call her. And, you know, when the cops get a call to her location, they're always like, uh, it's B. And everyone's like, okay, cancel. And everyone cancels. So we understand who B is. B somehow got a hold of you, probably a relative. And um, no offense, but B, there is no slurry in town, town. There is no. We took care of the slurry. The noxious gas? The noxious gas. is. It just depends which way the wind's blowing. You deny the drones are there? The drones do not exist yet. They will be incorporated into the city in the next month or so. So nobody is just spontaneously decomposing there? Well, no. Everyone is composing if they're decomposing if they want to decompose. No one is decomposing without their choice to decompose. So you're not uh, – you're not – Preventing people from leaving town town. No. It's, hey, I've, I don't have an airport. You're right. I don't have a port. Absolutely. I don't have a train. And I do have a tunnel, but no one seems to use it yet. So I'm not telling anyone they can't leave. They're all free to leave. I just don't know how to open up those areas to let them leave yet. So the feeling hmm. I'm just as trapped in town town as you are. Right. Because I'm not going to pay for the upgrades to get you all to leave. So just watch out for that slurry. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate the song, B. And uh, of course, I will have my let my assistants meet with you if you want to have that one meeting. last time. Yeah. But uh, boy, this whole this is a whole mistake because I, I was trying to get a feel for what President Trump is going through by creating my own world. And it's nothing but headaches, nothing but headaches. So and know. it is for your citizens too. Yeah. And tell your aunt B hi from me. We'll take a break folks when we come back we're going to be talking about uh, how to stress proof your brain. Is it possible? Life is complicated, life is stressful, but can you de-stress? We'll show you some methods, some tools up next. This is the Matt Townsend show. Town 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 Let's face it, friends, modern times are stressful. Between the mad dash to meetings, the dreaded daily commute, tragedy in the news, and the constant need to do and have more, you may be feeling wound up, irritable, and out of balance. 
Unfortunately, you can't always avoid the things that stress you out, but uh, you can control how you respond to the stress before it takes over your life. Melanie Greenberg, author of the book Stress-Proof Brain, is here with us this morning to talk uh, about the, a breakthrough process that will help us put um, to rest some of our unhealthy stress responses. Melanie, thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. This is great. So is I, apparently there is, is there now a chill pill that we can take, a pill that will get rid of all the stress? Yeah, it's, it's a several step pill, five or six steps. Um, but there is, there, there are things we can do. This is a brain process, right? You're going to teach us is how our brain can create, I, I guess, new pathways to manage the stress. Exactly. And that's what's exciting that we found in the past 10 years because of new technologies that our brains have neuroplasticity. So you, that you actually can physically help them grow new neurons and new pathways. You can redirect it and slowly grow positive pathways or and is, I mean, I guess this this has been going on in the brain forever. Um, it's just now we're figuring out how, because of the technology, I guess more about how the brain works. And, and is it... Exactly. It's like a brain habit, it sounds like. Exactly. Uh, and you can also try to undo negative brain habits and build in new positive brain habits that is, can make you happier and healthier. Maybe talk to us about what happens in the brain when we are feeling stress, when we're feeling, uh, you know, kind of anxious, out of sorts. What's going on in the brain? So say you're sitting in traffic and you're late and the person in front of you is going really slowly. That would be an example of a situation where you get stressed. So what happens is your fight, flight, freeze response gets triggered, there's a part of your brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala, it's kind of like a fire alarm of your brain. So its role is to identify a situation you have to deal with or a situation that's threatening. So the amygdala starts firing and then you have this whole cascade of hormones and neurotransmitters. Many people have heard of cortisol, Mm -hmm. the stress hormone, and it travels through the body gearing you up for battle, basically. Um, so, you know, your blood starts pumping, your heart um, rate gets higher, your breathing gets fast, all the blood goes to your muscles. And so that would be the st- what happens in the brain and the stress response. And this but is supposed to happen, while, right? This is supposed to happen. So this is a natural process. So this is supposed to happen because... Our ancestors were fighting lions and tigers, and depending on the kind of stress that you're dealing with, it can be very functional. Like if you're in a dark alley, you hear somebody following you, it's good to be alert like that. Yeah. To fight or run. But there are stresses we face today where it's not so functional. Like your boss is giving you feedback, you know, how you could improve your performance. That isn't so functional to get all like ang- angry and triggered. You may say the wrong thing to your boss and lose your job. So, or if you're having, you know, like a tax issue or something, so it can interfere with your thinking and can wear you down if the stressor goes on for a long time. Do people so do functional in some situations but not others? 
do I guess I guess everybody then brings kind of a different uh, a different physiology and anatomy and chemistry and they all handle and feel stress I guess differently. Yeah, part of it is your biology, it's your wiring. Some of us are wired for anxiety. Some of us are wired to be more vigilant, more you know, more aware of what's going on around us and kind of alert. And it also depends on your history. So if you've grown up in a stressful environment, you, you tend to be more overactive in your brain, hmm. which will be more vigilant to stresses and they react more strongly. Yeah, and then, yeah, I mean, if, if you didn't have money growing up, you may have learned that the chase of money is always, you know, life or death, fight hard for the money. Exactly. Yeah, it feels like survival. It feels like you're going to starve you know, if you don't have it. That's and a- it can be, be functional. In a, sometimes, you know, you can get very successful in your career if you totally focus like that. But it can also interfere with your health. Is it, I guess um, many say, you know, this is a part of life and you, you can almost see some people handle stress a lot better and then they look at those that are maybe wired for anxiety and they just don't get, they don't get why, just get over it, man, move on, relax, <laughs> let it go. And so part of understanding the brain, I guess, is you got to know your strengths and but you also have to be open to how people are different. Yeah, absolutely. We all have different brains. And I think that's compassion. If you can learn compassion, you can learn acceptance. You can get along much better with different kinds of people. But people can't just calm down. It's like a depressed person can't just stop being depressed. Right. It's a chemical process. It's it's automatic. And it takes years of work. Um, But there there are specific things you can do that can start working in a few weeks. Good. Give us some of those. Start walking us through that. So the first thing to do is just to slow things down, Um, slow down and breathe, and try to just lengthen your breathing and take deep breaths. And the reason that's effective is because there's another part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, yeah. And the prefrontal cortex is kind of like the CEO of the brain. So, you know, that can direct the brain in a more organized, mindful manner to get your goals accomplished. It can calm down the amygdala if it's not appropriate to be all hyped up. Uh, so slowing down and breathing is the first thing anyone should do. And second would be to stay mindful, which means... You try to redirect your mind into more of an observer role. Like you may think, hmm, what's happening here? Anger is arising, or I'm tempted to say something mean. Would that be a helpful thing to do right now? So you try to take a step back from the automaticity and become mindful of, you know, where are you, what are you doing, and, and what's, what would be the most functional thing? So you're literally consciously redirecting the response. Um, And then there's some other things like broadening your view. When you stress, your your mindset automatically narrows. And so you get very focused, you know, like hyper-focused on just the threat. So if you can take a step back and broaden your view, 
you can calm down because maybe you you have very positive aspects of your life as well. Maybe the stress is temporary. Maybe you have resources and coping skills. So just having a broader view can can help you calm down and, and feel better about the whole situation. And that broader view, I guess, and, could, that's like perspective, right? That could be, you know, realizing that I'm always stressed at this time of year. It lasts one month and then I have 11 more months to move on. So it could be something you think. It could be uh, it could just be gathering more data to asking better questions. Anything, I guess, that gives you a different or a more complete view. Exactly. And you could try to have a more positive view as well. Like, like I like your example. You could also deliberately think about stresses you dealt with in the past. You know, have you dealt with something similar before? But mostly you have. And you've got through that. So you could think of yourself as a person that can deal with stresses. Mm-hmm. And, um, you could practice gratitude. You could think of all the people in your life that love you. And so that puts the stressor into perspective. Um, and finally, I think you could, there's this finding this right mindset where you can actually get in touch with your passion about the situation. Or if it's a challenge at work or some kinds of stresses like that, you can feel your passion and excitement and the potential for growth and learning in the situation. If you can connect with that, then the energy boost that you get can actually feel positive. And that that becomes, I mean, a solution in and of itself, just seeing exactly how this event is is uh, just a part of your deeper passion, your deeper purpose in life. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so you may be feeling the same brain chemicals, you know, this charge of energy and kind of hyped up. But if you can int- interpret it as passion... That, you know, that can be positive energy that you can direct to do like a really good job and or to have the energy to stay up late and write your novel or whatever it is you need to be doing. Yeah, that that we hear a lot of that mindfulness and people bringing it up. It's I think you've explained it really well, staying mindful and reflecting into your life more as an observer. I call it a third, you know, third person so you're not so caught up in the emotion of it that you can actually look at it hopefully a little more objectively, stand away from it, see it, notice it. Um, and humans have the ability to do that. We'll take a break when we come back. We'll continue this discussion with Melanie Greenberg and uh, the idea of, of her book that uh, how to create a stress-proof brain. Th- these are ideas, but eventually when you do it over time, it seems to start creating pathways in your brain that make these activities much more automatic powerful learning folks stick with us the matt townsend show we'll be back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Melanie Greenberg, and uh, she's walking through her book that is here to help us stress-proof the brain, master your emotional response to stress using mindfulness and neuroplasticity. She is a media expert on relationships and stress, and today she's walking us through 
how to get rid of that fight, flight, freeze kind of stressful natural response by, uh, by, by you know, taking charge of our life. Melanie, welcome back. Thank you for, again for being with us. Thank you. Is um, like you're saying, this is these are very natural things. Um, one thing that just is so funny to me because when I teach it to my clients, they look at me like that's it. But you always, yeah. you, you say we got to slow down, take some deep breaths because we usually when we're in kind of fight or flight mode or that mode where you feel anxious, you're not breathing well. Like and it's almost like someone's sitting on your mm-hmm. chest. Um, but if you don't have oxygen, then you're not going to be getting the oxygen where it's needed to the brain, um, which is what, where we need it to be if we're going to get mindful and be present. Is this – this is really just um, – I mean a lot of people when we talk mindfulness, it's Zen, it's Buddhas, it's, it's Buddha. But this is probably why every major faith belief system has some meditative kind of prayer practice, isn't mm-hmm. it? To slow people down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean it's interesting. You can meditate or pray in many different ways. But it probably, um, from, the, from the body point of view, has the same effect. Yeah. Slowing down and, and you know, connecting with, with the peace, with more inner peace. What do we do? So let's say we slow it down, we're breathing, we're thinking it through, we are, we're broadening our view, we're more mindful. Um, what else do we do? And how do we, I guess, turn this into more of a, a, a brain habit? So another thing we can do is we can try to find a sense of control. And our brains don't like uncontrollable stress. They don't like lack of predictability. And you see this across species. You see this in rat studies. You see this in monkeys. And you see it in humans. So if you have, for example, if you expose people, to loud noise, which is stressful. Um, if one group gets loud noise, that they can press a button to turn off. Yeah. And the other group gets loud noise, they can, but they can't turn off. But both groups get the same amount of noise altogether. You'll find the group that can't turn off the noise gets more stressed, much more stressed. Hmm. And in rats and things like that, you even see stomach ulcers, for example, over long, um, a while of doing this. So it's a lack of predictability and controllability. Our, our brains hate that. Hmm. They're supposed to be prediction machines that keep us safe and that keep us alive. And so you, if you can deliberately think about it, which parts of this can I control? Um, you know, and, and sometimes you can't control the situation at all, but you can control your response. Right. So say you have chronic pain. You may not be able to control the pain. But what you can do is you can learn to focus on trying to live the best life you can despite the pain, you know, like not letting the pain destroy you. And so in that, your mind can find a sense of control and it can make a big difference. That's great. And, um, and, and then I guess you could take that same model to anything just by asking, what about this can I control? Absolutely. Yeah. What can I control and what can't I control? Um, because, and it's, and you generally can always control how you think about it and you know, just how you focus your attention, what your goal is in that situation. Um, so it's almost like you control, can control a piece of your own mind. Um, but also the other piece is not spending too much energy on what you can't control. So it's working 
on mindfully accepting the pieces that you really can't control. Because what we do is we worry and we ruminate and we drive ourselves crazy, wondering what's going to happen. So say you went for a job interview or you're unemployed. You know, you can sit and worry about it all day and all night, but ultimately there's a piece of it that's just not up to you. Hmm. And so you need to, in a way, learn to let go of that and not make that the main focus of your attention. Is there? Have you found a, a very effective way for somebody that does ruminate or, or you know, stir in the thought? Have you thought of found ways to actually help them let go of the thought? Yeah, I'd say I, you can call it defusing from the thought. Is one way to think of it. I think it's it's how you view your own thoughts in a way. So we get fused with our thoughts in that we think our thoughts are our whole reality. We think we are our thoughts. And when we have negative thoughts, we uncritically accept them. Hmm. They're so fast and automatic. We just believe them. We just buy into them. We don't realize there's another way to look at things. And so defusing from your thoughts, we try to create some distance that this is a thought. This is not necessarily true. So something you might say is, say you you're having a thought, I'm a loser. If you just put the sentence before it, I'm having a thought that I'm a loser, you immediately get a bit of distance. You know, it means that it's a hypothesis, it's a suggestion, it's not necessarily true. Hmm. Um, so you can say to yourself when you, you have a thought, you can slow it down, you can say, is this thought true? And then some thoughts are true, but they're not helpful. So... You know, it's like maybe in the job interview that you may not get the job. Well, that's true, but it's not helpful. So then you can also ask, is this thought helpful to me Hmm. or harmful? If it's harmful, then it's important to distract your attention and try to, you know, find something else to focus on. That's great. And it's, um, I guess the funny thing about this, this is just... You know, we spend so much time in the gym working out and getting strong. This is just brain <laughs> exercises, right? This is just getting your brain mind, in shape. Like your mind vitamins. <laughs> yeah, it, it really muscles. is. It is. Is it? Um, is the idea that if we do this long enough and we do it consistently, that eventually the brain will start doing it automatically for us? Yeah, that's exactly right. Because it's a saying that... Um, Neurons that fire together wire together. So our brain gets it's efficient, so it gets into patterns and sequences. So once you have one thought and it, it's linked, gets linked to other thoughts that happen at the same time. And you know that can go to the negative or it can go to the positive. Um, so when it goes to the negative, you might you might think, oh, I, I did a bad job on that um, talk, um, and then. You might think, then it might automatically go to, oh, you're a loser. You never, you always mess up. You, you're incompetent. And so it can go to the negative if you have a depressed brain. But you can also train it. If, you, if you're training in positive thoughts and hopeful thoughts, eventually you'll get a positive sequence. So it might be, oh, I'm so stressed. Um, and then it might be, it's okay, I've got this. You know, I'm a good coper. I've dealt with a lot of stuff. I'm resilient. You know, I'm going to turn this around, and and so then that sequence can become automatic if you if you practice it enough over months. Is I mean, I guess sometimes years for some people. 
this is um, this this, and it also takes energy. This this isn't this is not something. I mean, I think we just assume everyone's born with this, but born in no, you know, just you're either born healthy or, or unhealthy. But it seems like we're all just born different, and every human needs to to kind of spend some time figuring out how they work. Absolutely. I mean, it can be the most powerful thing you ever do. And the negative doesn't go away easily because the negative's been wired into your brain often by childhood stuff. And, and your brain's trying to protect you, so it's kind of it clings to the negative. So part of it is during, while you're practicing is understanding that the negative will come up and you may not be able to stop the negative thoughts completely. But it's, it's a, a bit more like, oh, it's acceptance. Okay, that's there, but I don't have to buy into it. I can redirect. Hmm. That's great. You, I guess, um, as we wrap up, one of the points that you do mention and, and talk about is self-compassion when it comes to stress. Sure. Maybe just uh, give us a little bit of understanding on self-compassion and, and what's the most important thing we can do to be self-compassionate. Thank you for bringing that up because it's also a very powerful part. When we're under stress, we tend to be very hard on ourselves. We're either hard driving and demanding. You're like, you don't get to sit down and you've got too much to do. You don't get to eat. Hmm. Um, or we can be hard on ourselves in another way. Like, you know, you're, you messed up. That's why you got in a situation. What's wrong with you? You know, talk to ourselves very, very meanly. And so self-compassion is also just slowing down and, and trying to learn to be kinder to ourselves. Um, like, you know, would we be saying this to our child? Would we be saying this to our, our friend? Um, so you might think, you know, if this was someone you loved, would you be talking to them this way? And, you know, that often we can be much kinder to other people than we can to ourselves. Right. And then the other thing is a sense of common humanity, realizing we're only human and, you, you know, none of us are finished products. We're all in process. We've got to make some mistakes, and that's okay. And we've got to allow it. Um, so those are two elements of self-compassion. That's great. And we really need more of that, right? It seems like it's just too easy to beat ourselves up, to to hurt ourselves, and then inevitably we end up hurting others. So that's why I think it's so needed, Melanie, what you're doing, and I appreciate your time. Great insight. Again, um, Everybody, really, we can all do better uh, in at managing these things. The stress-proof brain, master your emotional response to stress using mindfulness and neuroplasticity. Melanie Greenberg's her name. Go check out the book. Find it out. And let's get on this journey, especially if you notice that stress is getting you down. It's beating you up. Then it's time to pick ourselves up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're giving you the tools. We just can't do it for you. We'll be right back, folks. When we come back, we're talking about how to declutter your digital life. That may de-stress you as well. Hey, folks, technology has a dramatic influence on our daily lives, doesn't it? We depend on it for our professional lives to complete essential job functions. We rely on digital devices in our personal lives to stay connected with the outside world. But sometimes all of this leads us to, you know, be making less human connections 
and more dependency on technology. Caitlin Thomas is here, one of our great producers, to talk about how we can keep our connections meaningful and out of, uh, I guess, out, out of the digital media pole. Zone. Zone. Good to have you here, Caitlin. The little zone. We're, I mean, because really, we you'd think that I'd be able to connect more effectively with my wife with technology, well, except yeah, and not I think in the some case. ways they do. You know, what got me thinking about this was I saw this insane commercial. Now I'm trying not to judge, but I am. I am judging. Yeah, it's this Japanese company, and they're making this new. You you know, like those Amazon Echo speakers, yeah. Alexa speakers. It's kind of like that, but it actually has like. Like those, you know, like in Star Wars when the people are talking, they like show up and they look like... Like a hologram. Like a hologram. Yeah. So they have a little Japanese anime girl hologram machine. Uh-huh. And it's the Japanese man's girlfriend. And she's connected to his phone, so she'll text him randomly throughout the day. And then she'll text him and say, hey, like, honey, when are you coming home? And then when he says, oh, I'm five minutes away, like, in the commercial, he, like, looks up at his apartment and the light turns on. And you think it's, like, his girlfriend. And then he walks in and it's a hologram. And she just stands there and, and he talks to her and confides uh, in her. And scary. then she, yeah, she talks to him and she makes him feel better. And then um, he goes to sleep and she tells him goodnight. And then Sounds like we don't even need again. a girlfriend. So, exactly. He doesn't need a girlfriend anymore because... Because he's getting all this like social connection through this hologram, and so my family and I were sitting talking. We're like, "This, there's something not right about that. That mm-hmm. just doesn't sit right with us at our house." But are we really that far off? Like, how much time do we spend? Like, when we go out with friends and we take a photo and we post like a photo, and say, "Oh, I love all of my friends," but we spent most of the night on our phone, not actually talking to totally. our friends. Totally. So we're just kind of lying. So. Yeah. Anyways, I found this really awesome podcast that was done. It was actually done by Mormon.org, but it was done by someone who from outside of the Mormon church, yeah. and I thought it was really awesome what he had to say. He gave us some tips on how to declutter what, or digitalize. Give us some of them. So the first one he says is to clean up your email inbox, deleting old messages and creating folders to sort it through, and only keep two emails, one for personal, one for work, because if you have more than two, then you're going to start spending way too much time yeah, you're chasing checking it. emails, yeah. and then keeping it organized allows you to stay farther away from it. You don't need to be there every day. Yeah, but if we don't have more than two emails, then how do we keep getting the free trials and all these memberships? Yeah, he like also Amazon said, Prime. Yeah, to it's unsubscribe to the stuff that you're not using. Um, he says delete your old media. You don't need content and stuff from the past. Like no. If you're not using it anymore, unsubscribe or delete it and spend time living in the present and don't keep Simplify, simplify. Yeah. yeah. Organizing your desktop, um, sort through documents on your laptop or computer and remove items you don't need. Um, simplifying your desktop by ridding it of clutter will make it less overwhelming to find folders. That's and I was long just talking programs. to Terry about that that sometimes I'll go to my phone, I know I need to be there and I even know what I need to do, like pull up my a song that my son yeah. just did, mm-hmm. but I can't, can't find it. I my brain's like, well, which icon, which app, which which uh, uh-huh. too much stuff. So if I only had like three things, yeah, and music, then you spend less time looking on it. So essentially, yeah. you're spending less time on your phone. Um, he says removing distracting apps and turning off. <clears throat> like not- notifications for apps that you don't need. And he said you can have organizing your apps on your phone because uh-huh. you can have different screens that you can slide past. And he says have one screen for the apps you use the most frequently at home, second screen reserved for apps you use when you're at work or away from the home, oh, there you go. That's and then great. the third screen for your miscellaneous stuff. So That's you have three screens idea. and you know exactly where to go wherever you are so you don't have to be on it and you don't have to be looking at it so right. often. Um he also suggested organizing your passwords and your login information. Oh, so that's deleting the old worst. accounts that you don't need. Yeah. He says 
deactivating accounts, and he says keep track of your relevant login information in a password database like on a spreadsheet or in a notebook. Don't put it in your phone because in case yeah. it gets lost, you know, you don't want anyone finding that stuff. But he said a spreadsheet, and I thought, oh, wow, that was kind of a genius. Okay. Well, and there's now there's all these uh, apps that will hold all your passwords for you and put them in for you. All you have to yeah. do is just remember one digit. One and digit. then blackmail yeah. you if you try to cross it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, with a little blackmail. <laughs> no big deal. Um, weekly digital cleanups. He says make time each week to stay organized but deleting your old media. Mm-hmm. So, again, going through every week. Don't do it every month. Do it every week so that you spend less time looking for things. And then disconnecting weekly. He said find a time each week to um, spend time away from the digital world. Have a tech fast. Have a tech fast. Spend time with friends and family face-to-face talking to people, keeping those connections alive. And that's good thinking. Relevant and not going to dinner and posting a photo saying, I love my friends, but never actually talking to your friends. See, Caitlin, that's why we need you. Declutter your digital lives, people. Nailed it. (laughs) Thanks, Caitlin. Appreciate it. We'll take a break, my friends. Learning a lot, helping you live this crazy life we all have. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. The uh, famous song, Town Town, uh, made up about my my own town that I'm running now on SimCity. <laughs> it's actually Townsend Abbey, but uh, the downtown area of my Townsend Abbey city, of which 45,000 people now live, and I am the mayor, um, they one of those members put together this song. It's and a little apparently, negative. apparently, Town Town is just a cesspool. Yeah, no, it's not. It's beautiful. I haven't looked at it for about twenty four hours. Have you have you made it into say the historical district? Maybe put some restaurants in there, a place where people can gather. There's no restaurants in my don't, town yet. Don't mm. worry about the restaurants. Start with the slurry. Get rid of the slurry. Slurry's gone. Now I'm just trying to fit healthcare in there. And who would have thunk? Healthcare is really confusing. I had no idea. But it's it's going to bankrupt my city. So, I mean, the reason I did all of this is I wanted to understand what President Trump is going through. As just a, a non-politician walking in to all of a sudden you need to run. You need to, you need to run a community. You need to run a town. And, uh, you know. It's hard. I'm learning a lot on SimCity. Townton Abbey is the name of my town. The downtown area in Townton Abbey is Towntown. And steer clear. You've been warned. <laughs> yeah. I think you you have a biased view of my village. Hey, I report you decide. Yeah. By the way, I did find something out. It does take a village to raise R-A-Z-E a man. Takes a lot of people if you want to destroy someone's house. It's not easy. But is, it only is, takes one mayor to destroy a city. Is there a legislative process for eminent domain, or does the mayor just get to come in and go, you, gone? Right now, there, it's just the mayor. Oh, nice. Right now, as the mayor, I. Streamlined it. That's it, nice. Yeah. It used to be, this used to be a, a fiefdom. Hmm. And now 
It's not. Now I'm trying to make it a democracy where people have a right to ooh, speak. Ooh, and, I don't know if that's a good choice. But now that I've had B um, put this song together that's this negative song and she somehow is paying Jeffrey to play it, hmm. uh, I – Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin. I'm I'm going to probably not allow as much open speech. And if something happens to her, we'll know who was responsible. Unless, of course, that remember there are changes that are being made immediately in um, policing, fire, and medical. If if she happens to lose any of those rights or blessings or responsibilities or gifts, just it's just it's just luck of the draw. It's just what happened. Just I, I had nothing to do with it. It's, right. it's just we're redistricting. <clears throat> gerrymandering. Gerrymandering. Okay. So anyway, not to bore you anymore with my great political endeavors, but I'm learning a lot. I think, I think it's fascinating. And anybody that wants to learn about what a new government is, goes through, SimCity is a great way to do it because you then realize every little thing that people want and hold dear costs you moo. Costs mm. you moolah. So we'll get to all that. Uh, uh, plus, a lot of empty news coming up, Matt Townsend Show News. Um, and we're going to be talking about if your smartphone is making you shy. Hmm. You know, some people, it's obviously not. Like when you walk into a restroom and a guy's on the phone, <laughs> obviously not making that guy shy. No. Others, they might be getting shy. So we'll get to all that fun. Um, plus, of course, the good friends from BYU Sports Nation. We'll see how they're handling the BYU loss to mm-hmm. N- in the NIT to the University of Texas at Arlington. Arlington. I believe that's who they played, yes. And, of course, at the very end of the whole show, we'll give you a hero of the day. We've got a lot to do. So first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's up? President Trump sent his first budget proposal to Congress. He seeks to raise the budget for defense by $54 billion, give more money to the Department of Veterans Affairs and Homeland Security so they can help them building the border wall. To pay for the bigger military and border wall, Trump would not only eliminate roughly $300 million the U.S. spends on the arts, but also... Federal subsidies for Amtrak's long-distance routes, the $3 billion Community Development Block Grant Program used to finance programs like Meals on Wheels and Housing Assistance. Also, the Energy Star Program, if you've seen that as you've tried to do some remodeling in your house, that'll be eliminated. And subsidies for uh, rural airports. Trump also proposes privatizing the U.S. air traffic control system. These are all little tidbits people are finding as they're going through the budget. Uh, In uh, in a Wednesday press conference, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunez from California said officials don't have any evidence that the Obama administration ordered wiretapping on Donald Trump while he was running for president. Um, I think the uh, the challenge here uh, is is that is that the you know President Obama wouldn't physically go over and wiretap Trump Tower. So now you have to decide, as I mentioned to you last week, are you going to take the tweets literally? And if you are then clearly the president was wrong. But if you're not going to take the the tweets literally, and if if there's a concern that the president uh, has about uh, other people, other surveillance activities, uh, looking at him or his associates, uh, either appropriately or inappropriately, we want to find find that out. I think it's all in the interpretation of what you believe. Says who? Literally or figuratively. Nunez is a Republican. He's trying to... Yeah, says who? I mean, who says... Barack Obama wouldn't go over and install a wiretap. He's got time now. I mean, he's got nothing but time. The co-head of the House Intelligence Committee, his hair, his name is uh, slipping my mind at the moment, but he stepped to the mic and went, yeah, we got nothing. 
there's nothing here. There was no you trying know, to count President. things yeah. and make it seem. No, he just said we have nothing. It, it, there's there'll be more. The first public hearing regarding the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election will take place March 20th, so next week. Okay. Also, Attorney Jeff Sessions was asked if he gave any info to, to President Trump about any sort of wiretapping or anything. That's clip three, if you could play that one. Um, look, um, the answer no. There you go. <laughs> that was the Attorney General. Okay, there you go. During a rally in Nashville Wednesday, President Trump called the federal judge's ruling that blocks his second attempt at a travel ban an unprecedented judicial overreach. Wednesday evening hours before the revisited travel ban was to go into effect, a federal judge in Hawaii placed a nationwide hold on the order. This incensed Trump, who then told the crowd in Nashville he believes we ought to go back to the first ban and go all the way. That's what I wanted to do in the first place, he also vowed, to take the case as far as it needs to go, including all the way to the Supreme Court. A judge in Maryland also placed to stay on the travel ban this morning. Okay, yeah. So we'll see what happens there. And finally, the first round of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, as this says, kicks off Thursday. That's inappropriate. It's tips off Thursday. Get your sport analogy Uh. correct. People. Focus. How many games? Do you know how many today? Uh, today there will be twenty. No, sixteen. Oh, well, I was going to say games. a baker's dozen. As long as we were saying kick off, yeah, for tip off. <laughs> sixteen games, four different sites across the country. Games begin as early as twelve fifteen p.m. Eastern. Oh, so right as we go off the air, I'd love to see some games. Just go and click on. CBS or whatever. No, I've got to work. Oh, people, some people work. Work. The American Gaming Association estimates around 40 million people fill out uh, more than 70 million March Madness brackets every year, and that employers lose as much as 1.3 billion to employees who are distracted by the games. Right. There's 16 today, 16 tomorrow, and then more over the weekend. When I went to the printer, I did see somebody's bracket just sitting there They're, in the tray. Uh, really? Mm-hmm. Wasting time. Wonder who that belongs to. Not me. Terry. I don't have any brackets filled out. Come on. Yeah, I don't either. I'll watch. Don't really. Whoever found that, though, uh, just drop it by my office. I'll get it to the person that it belongs to. Hmm, Okay. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Just, I don't know. I thought you were busy. I thought you had work. No, no. Speaking... I spent a lot of work on that. Speaking right. of getting stuff that belongs to people to them, yeah, the Skittles and Reese's Pieces are gone. Yeah. Wow, they've been here for like two or three weeks or whatever it was, right? And now they are gone. Yeah, I took them. I took them to the person they belong to. That was a lot more dramatic. Thanks for the music. I like that. Well, now where am I going to get my 10 o'clock fix? Well, you can buy. There's food right there in the in the little uh, pantry market. In the break room. In the break room. Yeah, just they're right there. You can just do it. But you got to you know put money on the card and then use the card to buy them. It's, they won't it's let too you just that, use so. a credit card to buy the food. You have to load them onto your ID. Yeah. And then run your ID. Ugh, I forget it. I'm just not going to eat. Yeah, it's not worth the the hassle. Wow. To eat a candy bar. You guys are kind of lazy. See, now, I'd probably be more likely to just go look for the Reese's Pieces and Skittles. They're gone. I have I, I've heard through the grapevine that they've been consumed. <laughs> yeah. Deal with it. Sad. You just know that it, it could be worse. 
you could be a ski instructor just skiing down a hill in Wyoming and all of a sudden you crash and end up with an 18-inch branch impaling your lip. Ow! Natty Hagwood, who works at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, snowboarding with friends last week, tried to navigate the gap between trees, and after he fell, the 29-year-old said that at first he thought his helmet strap got pushed into his face, but he said he soon realized it was a branch jabbing through one side of his lip and out the other. Hagwood said he thought, I just got impaled. And then I yelled over to Pete, hey, look, I got a new piercing. Actually, it probably sounded more like, hey, look, I got a new piercing. <laughs> true. Very true. So true. The group notified ski patrol responders told Hagwood that the branch uh, would, have, would have to be braced bef- um, so that they could take him down the mountain. It was initially about a foot and a, lo- and a half long. That is a long piercing. And it's a tree, for heaven's sakes. You're crazy, man. Ski Patrol was like, you're crazy, man. Hagwood said he didn't have much pain until he got to the hospital, and the doctors gave him shots to numb the area. They then trimmed the branch. I love trimming the tree. When it's hanging out of your face? Oh, no, I don't like that one. But I just love it at Christmas. Trimming the tree, and then um, they removed it using, um, you know, well, we won't get into the details, but he did get 15 stitches to close the wound. You know, that story wasn't me. If it wasn't for me, it was uh, a bit sappy. Do you see that they don't like that? Hostile audience this morning. All right. They don't like it. I'll keep my mouth shut. It's also no selfie day. Um, Today, you must uh, take a vow, an oath, that you will not be doing any selfies today. I usually like to um, take a lot of selfies on my drive home. Mm. Won't be doing that today. So rest easy. Selfie day. No selfie day. But I think it's also reading day, so you'll be reading a book behind the wheel. Absolutely. I always like to read when I'm on the highway. LAPD seeks thieves uh, thick with makeup after a $4.5 million heist. Listen to this. L.A. police are trying to throw shade at thieves behind a million-dollar makeup heist. The LAPD said Thursday it's investigating um, after $4.5 million worth of eyeshadow was stolen from a uh, cosmetic warehouse in the city. $4.5 million in eyeshadow. That's a lot of horse hooves. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) They say the theft occurred between January 28th and January 30th at a warehouse in Los Angeles that houses Anastasia Beverly Hills products. Police believe the suspects cut a hole in the roof of the warehouse and made off with 100,000 packages of the beauty company's modern Renaissance eyeshadow. Mm, By the way, they do have they do have one person um, that they're that. They're not saying is a suspect, but is a person of interest. Hmm. Okay. A person of interest, so he can see crimes before they occur. No. Oh, I see. A person of interest, meaning they're not. They're not. It was a criminal. TV show. That would be a precog. Oh, a precog. Yeah. Well, that's from Minority Report. Person of interest was a computer that would tell you something was possibly going to happen to a person. No. No. Do you guys want to know who the person? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Paula Dean. Really? Paula Dean. Why was she implicated? Apparently she likes eyeshadow. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Paula hmm. Dean. 
Just saying. I, I think people can apply makeup in different ways. Absolutely. Some with the application product they provide with sure. it, others with a spackle. It's different. Well, and some by the caseload. A spackle knife is a great tool to use. Jeff, how do you apply? How do you like to apply your makeup? Uh, I usually apply it to my account and then pay for it. Oh, you did it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. <laughs> I. Um, this cuts out the middleman. This is a true story. I wear makeup every Thursday. Thursday's makeup well, day. I'm not wearing any yet. I believe it. You go on TV. Though. I go on TV on Thursdays, and here's the deal. The only place I get recognized is at the Nordstrom makeup counter mm. when I go get new makeup every four years. So what, actually, I, I only wear a base thing, or whatever they right. call it. So I, what's in the gift bag that little, they little send rouge. you home with? Uh, that's just a lot of free applicator stuff. It's a lot of, a lot of literature. And then a moisturizer... A D puffier. How do you blend your multiple skin tones? I usually use a fan brush, okay. and um, and then I I usually just spend a couple hours blending. Do you use a base or is it a foundation or are those the same? I use a blondation. A blondation. You know, with your coloring, you could probably back off on the foundation a little bit. What, what do you mean? Just a tip. <laughs> A makeup tip. A good rule for makeup, less is more, Matt. Just less is more. Yeah. Make it look like you're not wearing I makeup. I try to put hardly any on my face. It's the body makeup I can't stop applying. People like the natural look. Yeah. Okay. A little uh, insight for you. Just trying to let, get you get you an inside view of, the, of Dr. Matt. It's makeup day. $4.5 million. Well, when you wear that bodysuit, it's a little more than uh, too much Dr. Matt. <laughs> so true. We'll take a break. When we come back, is your smartphone making you shy? Stick with us. We'll give you the latest research. If you look around, I'm guessing the majority of people you see will either be texting, watching a video, making a phone call, or having their cell phone sitting in front of them on their desk. It's pretty hard to live in a world and country like ours without a cell phone these days. It seems like a lot of people are saying that technology like this can make us even more antisocial. But is that true? Uh, Liverpool, Liverpool, John Moore's University Professor of English and Cultural History, Dr. Joe Moran, um, joins us today to discuss his article, Is Your Smart- Smartphone Making You Shy? Uh, Dr. Moran, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate your time. Oh, hello, Matt. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. What do you think? What, what is – I mean, everybody would like to blame the cell phone for – anxiety today, for antisocial behavior, almost everything, many things which, by the way, existed all before the cell phone. Is, are, are the cell phones getting a bad rap here? I, th- I think so. Um, I mean, I, I'm really a historian, so, uh, and um, as a historian, you, as you've just, uh, as you just uh, uh, commented, um, you, you kind of realize that there's nothing really new under the sun, that a lot of these anxieties are are quite recurring and um i think um i think with technology um we uh we we it's, it's almost like the the compliment that every 
period pays to itself we kind of think that everything has changed we kind of think that something co comes along like the smartphone or i guess a generation ago it would have been television which they used to call the plug-in drug <laughs> That's um, right. and and they kind of and people kind of assume that everything has changed um and i kind of think that um we, it sort of shakes itself out i, I kind of think they, they, these things do have an impact but it's often very complex and uh, um, I think human nature is quite resilient and I think sort of habit and inertia are quite resilient as well so so these technologies are important but I don't necessarily think they transform our personalities or, or kind of change our societies I think it's um, I think we kind of work out how to use them yeah did you um, see a difference I mean I know in the article you mentioned that there uh, there you talk about smartphones a lot versus just regular cell phones. Is there a reason you distinguish the two? Um, well, I think the thing about smartphones is that they, it is kind of instant connection. Um, that there's a there's a one of those sort of experts on shyness in in America, uh, Philip Zimbardo, um, who teaches at Stanford. He, he did a uh, I think he does a thing called the Stanford Shyness Survey, which, which is basically asking people if they identify as shy. And he sort of, in the late 90s, he kind of found that that there was a, was a big uh, spike in uh, the number of people who, who were um, uh, declaring that they were shy. Um, and he's, his explanation for that was things like cell phones and uh, email, that it was a kind of virtual relationship that you could have. Um, but I think smartphones are something slightly different because they make you, they actually connect you with people and they create things like social networks. So they're, they're almost like a sort of alternative social world um, rather than just simply taking you away from, from this social world, which are interactions with people. So it's, it's quite complex. They, they can actually allow you to socialize as well as stopping you socializing. That's right. And it was interesting in that Stanford China study, you said that spike, it went up from 40% of the people um, kind of identifying as shy up to 60% in, in the 1990s. And, but again, that, I, to me, that's a surprising number that that many people think they're shy which would mean, boy, having a cell phone, especially a really adept, skilled, uh, advanced phone um, that I could use so many different ways would help me handle shyness. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the surprising thing about that, that survey is just, and actually because I, I write more generally about, about shyness, I, I've, just, I've just kind of written a book about it, that, that actually the surprising thing is how many people do identify as shy. And, and one of the things that um, that survey found is is that shyness is is very situational and contextual so so people can be shy in one contact text and um and entirely sort of normal and and sociable and extrovert in another and um and yes i, I think that, that that the phone can do that i mean you it could go too far the other way it could stop you um it could actually become a sort of alternative way of relating to people that stops you dealing with them face to face um, but but it's but it also seems to be quite useful for some people as a way of not necessarily um, stopping communicating with people in real life but actually just kind of managing those relationships and mm. um, I think one of the things one of the ways in which I find it useful as a, as a shy person is actually that it's it gives you a chance to 
um, ponder your responses and to sort of think about what you want to say. Yeah, you could now, you know, warm up, throw out two or three iterations before you just say something. I mean, how many times have you texted somebody and you wish they had thought it through a little bit? Um, or, there, But then there's the shy person behind the scenes that may have been seriously thinking it through. I mean, in a way, I guess that could be more stressful or more beneficial. Have you seen, just as a historian, anything that, that is, has had this big of an impact on us in recent years? Um, uh, in terms of technology? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, again, I think it, it's hard to say because I think I think these things do sort of shape themselves out. I think I think you sort of people. Um, I, I, I think they have a big impact at first, and then I think um, I think people then sort of get used to them. Uh, if you think about things like um, uh, like email, for example, when that came in, it was a huge. It actually kind of helped me. I, I like email because it's exactly what you've just been saying that it allows you it's just kind of halfway between um a sort of phone call and a letter so yeah. it has a sort of element of premeditation um but it also is it's kind of less formal than a letter so it's you can sort of um create a persona um and um and i think a, a lot of when technologies come in like that like email or like or like uh, texting um it seems it sort of it, it, it kind of feels like it's changed everything, but what what you find is that it then it sort of coexists with other things. It doesn't actually change everything. Um, uh, email doesn't stop people having conversations at work, for example. Right. In fact, the, the most common the most common uh, thing that people say about to me about email is, "Did you get my email?" So, in in other <laughs> words, they, they have you have a conversation with somebody about the email that you just sent. Um, and actually, what email often does is it sets up, it kind of makes human interactions more complicated because it sort of sets up meetings. Um, what often people do on email is is arrange to meet, yeah, or they they arrange to have a telephone conversation. Um, so I don't think I, I, I kind of think that these things seem like they're revolutionary, and actually what they do is sort of mold themselves around our kind of conventional ways of doing things. So it's really more of the same, just I mean, just different. It's just it's just a different approach, and, and I like this idea um, of of shyness. And, and I mean, I, part of it. There's a lot of books out. Quiet, for example, one by Susan Cain, where. Many times you feel like a foreigner in this world if you if you're not an extrovert, if you're not you know verbal and verbose and willing to jump in and immediately share your opinion. You seem you feel strange, and yet, um, like you're saying, there's there's a whole shy world that many of us have never explored. Um, that's right. I mean, I mean, Susan Cain, um, her book is about introversion, which right. is. Um, uh, which is kind of slightly different from shyness because it's more about um, it's more about sort of the way that your brain works in terms of uh, that you're actually o- either overstimulated by other people or you're understimulated. If you're understimulated, you're an extrovert. Right. If you're overstimulated. It basically means you actually just need to to le- to sort of be be quiet and solitary, or you prefer to have one-on-one conversations. And it's not necessarily something you can do anything about. So, so I think for for those kinds of people, for sort of introverted people, something like 
email or or texting is really helpful because it's it gives you a way of sort of managing your interactions with people. Um, shyness is something slightly different. Shyness shyness can be a more a more negative thing. It can be some it can be about sort of fear or um, or actually wanting to have interactions with other people and and uh, and not being able to do to, to do that. Um, so it's kind of, I suppose it's about getting the balance right. You, mm. you you wouldn't want to use you wouldn't want to just be having virtual interactions with people. You you'd want to um, you'd want to be having those, but also be. I, I do think I mean I do think that the value of talking to people face to face is very important as well. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um, boy, it really, that's an interesting fact. We ought to have you back for a whole discussion on shyness, Joe. Um, let's take a break uh, and, and continue this discussion about the impact that our cell phones and smartphones might be having on making us shy. Uh, who better to help us than Dr. Joe Moran, who's uh, written the article, Is Your Smo- Smartphone Making You Shy? Helping you uh, break out if you need to, understand you. That's the goal of the show. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Dr. Joe Moran, um, who is the author of Shrinking Violets, The Secret Life of Shyness. If you go to his website, um, Joe, you can go to his blog, at Joe Moran's blog, or his website, joemoran.net, and find out more about that. He also wrote uh, an article, Are your smart, Are Our Smartphones Making Us Shy? And uh, he's walking us through some of that learning. Joe, thank you again for being with us. Oh, that's Okay. Talk about um, – so the technology really – I've always kind of thought of it, you know, it's it's a magnifier. It magnifies your personality or your kind of your natural traits, your natural, you know, tendencies or it, or it doesn't. And um, – or it, it makes you stronger or weaker, but it's just going to make you more of what you tend to be is – when you see um, kind of the this view of the phone – and the and the technology moving forward. What what do you see the future being? Um, do you feel like it will make us more social beings, less social, or just a different social? I suspect just a different social. I mean, I mean, I, I'm not sure about the thing about it magnifying your personality. I think it can do that. It has all kinds of effects, really. It, it can. I think one of the things it has done is it has blurred the boundaries between our public and private selves more. Um, There's a term for this that uh, uh, Facebook uh, sometimes uses, uh, radical transparency, the the idea that uh, um, there shouldn't really be a division between your your kind of private self and your public persona. Um, One of the things that does do is it kind of makes it easier to for advertisers to target you because they they know about all your kind of choices they know you know they know uh how you socialize they know what albums you like they, they know what books you like um so you kind of um you tell everybody you tell or at least you tell all your followers what you're doing um so there is that there, there is that kind of um sense of of um people talking about their their 
their private selves more, or perhaps not even recognizing a distinction between the two. And and I've certainly seen that. I think it is partly a generational thing. Um, obviously, I teach uh, students who are m- much younger than me, and um, and I do think that um, for them, um, they worry a lot less about that boundary. Um, uh, that they don't mind so much talking about what they're doing or where they are um, at, at any time. But I think also people can use uh, these kind of social media as um, as an avatar, as a, as a way actually of um, producing a persona. Hmm. And I tend to do that on Twitter. I tend to. I don't really um, partly because I know that my students might follow me, or and I don't necessarily want to. Um, I, I don't necessarily want to blur that blur those boundaries. I kind of still want to have a sort of slightly professional persona. So, so I think you can use something like Twitter as a as a as a way of kind of making wry jokes or, or kind of um, doing a sort of slightly more amplified version of yourself that's huh. not quite you. Um, so I think people can use them in all, all kinds of ways, really. And and really, I guess that's just. I mean, you almost see every one of them. Uh, every medium you you use has a different goal. I mean, LinkedIn has a different goal, and it 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 almost seems like sometimes your personality doesn't come out there as much as it might on Instagram or on. So, I guess part of uh, these these different forms of communication uh, and social media forms is I guess we got to be savvy enough to know how to use them. What ad- other advice do you give about how we can? You know, if we don't want to become as shy, uh, how do we not fall into the maybe the ease of use of the media? Um, or if we want to get out of our shyness mode or, or stay shy, I mean, how do we manage it more effectively? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has to do that themselves. Or everybody has to work out their own kind of comfort zone because um, um, there are people who, who – uh, who use it in a way that's kind of toxic and and uh, that they sort of overuse it, uh, and it can be a, a bit addictive. Um, um, but uh, I think everybody has to. I sort of get a sense that really people work. Everybody works out their own way of doing that. They kind of work out how um, how much they should use it, and they sort of uh, quite a lot of people. I think on things like Twitter, they they kind of have. Sort of periods of abstinence. They they sort of say, I can't handle this at the moment. It's, I'm just. It's kind of like being on all the time. Mm. So they sort of have a period when they they sort of leave it for a bit and then they come back. Um, so I don't know if I've got any sort of um, uh, useful advice. Silver except, bullet. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, one of the things I do say to my students, um, um, and this is when I see them kind of using mobile phones in in class. Because um, I do think they have a slightly different etiquette to somebody of my generation, is that I do, I do say it's quite important to be present. You know, it's, it's quite important to. Well, we talk about people having presence, um, mm-hmm. having a presence, um, and often it is people who are who are there, who are sort of present in the room, and that's an incredibly powerful thing. I think particularly now, when you see so many people. Um, with uh, you know their sort of faces kind of buried in a in a screen, to somebody for somebody just to be in the room and just to be noticing and listening is an extraordinary sort of powerful thing. Mm. 
So I try and get my students not to forget that. I don't try and I don't tell them to take put their phones away because they need them for for various things to do with the class. Yeah. Um, but but the power of being there in the moment and being present is also is also really important. And and it's it's important for them. It's also important for you the te- the teacher because you probably teach and instruct differently if you're filled with a room full of people that aren't present versus if they are well, present. Exactly. And um, and I do think that is a danger with some of the technology. It's just um, uh, the, the, the power of shared attention, that the sense that um, you, you come together in a class to, to be there, to be in the room and to be talking about and noticing the same things. And in a way, that's the reason you come to class, or that's that's the reason you you have any kind of meeting. I suppose is you're caught, you're kind of having a conversation that you couldn't have in other ways. So I suppose it's about it's about working out what is the best way of having a conversation. Um, there are some conversations that are much better face to face, and yeah. there are some conversations that are perfectly fine and actually better. Um, virtually and sort of um, interactively through technology. Awesome. Good stuff, Joe. Appreciate it. Great insights. It's about conversations and about our ability to be present and present, especially when presence is necessary and engaged at deeper levels. Um, Powerful. Dr. Joe Moran, go check out his website, joemoran.net, and you can find out more about his book, Shrinking Violets, The Secret Life of Shyness. We'll be back with our good buddies, Not so shy, guys, uh, from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I don't know. I love love the song, even though it's very negative, about my SimCity town, Townton Abbey. Uh, mayor now, 45,000 plus. If you want to join, come on over. Come live in Townton Abbey, and you can live town-town in my market-friendly, non-sewage-filled city. (sighs) Let's shoot it now to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, what's coming up on their show. Also see how they're recovering from the NIT, what do we call it? Just the NIT moment. Uh, Gentlemen, are you there? Speaking of sewage, what's up? Yeah, I think you can call that a meltdown. Yeah, that, I was trying to find the word because I, I didn't want to be negative, but... Um, uh, no, just be fair, which it, is... It was a meltdown. An abomination. Dave Rose said it was a microcosm of the season. Ugh. Yeah, to me, this was the most disappointing season in the Dave Rose era. Really? The first year, BYU had fewer wins, but they have come off a nine-win season. And Steve Cleveland's final year. And so that was uh, an 11-game improvement. That was great. This season, BYU expected to be more competitive, and we're not. Injuries played into that. Inexperience via youth played into that. Um, That doesn't mean it's not disappointing, right? BYU bows out at home in the NIT in a game they should win. And they didn't. Um, Yet, this team beat Gonzaga, number one. And we'll always remember that. And I can't figure out how this team was that team. But we'll always remember that, and uh, hopefully this season becomes one that we look back on and go, okay, the struggle 
was worth it. Isn't but right it now we're right after that struggle moment. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that 22 and 12 is the worst season in the Dave yeah. Rose era? And so he did point out in the postgame last night, this is the first time we have ended the postseason since I've been the coach at home. Yeah. And so this is unique and disappointing. Uh, that's yeah, hard. I, I, I'm not going to take moral victory from what happened this season. I'm, I'm going to look back and say, okay, hopefully this spurns some change. Yeah. The standard is really high, and it should be. Did and injuries, we'll discuss what changes need to happen. Did in injuries the play a part? I mean, it seems uh, like part. a lot of people getting hurt. Yeah, a huge part. If Elijah Bryant plays last night, BYU still loses that game in my opinion. But if Kyle Davis is healthy and LJ Rose is healthy, the real issue wasn't the injuries. It was some transfers that happened in the offseason last year that affected BYU to a great degree. In my yeah. Jordan yeah. Chapman to Boston College, Jake Toulson to Utah Valley. To me, those two specifically really affected this season. Just some form of continuity. Yeah. Older players. Yeah. Would have helped, right? Le- leadership on the floor in terms of experience. Some of the same players would have helped. So then you didn't have to throw so much youth out there. And, yes, I know they're talented. And it, we watched a bunch of freshmen and sophomores try and figure it out against yeah. two ranked teams in their conference mm-hmm. with no true road games in the non-conference to prepare them for conference. Um, yeah, so it, was a, it was an interesting year. I think BYU fans – have kind of been over this season about a month and a half ago where <laughs> BYU lost a few games where they were hoping to win. They weren't going to be in the NCAA tournament. And now that it's over, it's like, all right, please just flush this the last two games down the toilet. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question. Now that uh, they're out, um, do you spend your time watching the NIT no. or the, the other tournament? The other, what's the other tournament? That other one. Yeah, the other one. The other the CBI and the CIT? No, yeah. no, no. The other the NCAA one. tournament. Yeah, Absolutely. That one. Yeah. It starts in 17 minutes. I know. 32 he, games over Prince, two days. BYU's first win of the season came against Princeton, and that is your number one game coming up against Notre Dame oh. in 17 minutes. Oh. But I'm not even going to. I'm on the show, but I'm not going to be on the show. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Your heart, your heart <laughs> is going to be at that game. I won't be in the show, but I'll be on the show. Do you want that me to live hilarious. tweet you? I'll I'll live tweet the game so you can just read it. No, I'll be watching the game but you're while in the, the show's going. Well, on. no, but you no, you can't do that. Of course, I can. I'm not. See, Spencer has more to worry about with like transitioning to the next idea, guest, break. I just kind of react. You, yeah, you're the there. Part. You're there just to Ask look questions. pretty. Yeah, right. yeah. I'm the eye candy of the show. Clearly, uh, uh, dude. No question. Especially today, Spencer's not feeling great. Oh, but Spence. Woo! Spencer. He's hey. on the medicines. I've got some, like, really, really deep bags under my eyes. My yeah. My voice sounds a little bit weird. Sultry. And uh, on some medications. So. Ooh. Only so. one of those things is new. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Hey, um, I've, I, I do have some more sad news for you, Spence, especially you, because it's no selfies day. Which means no to, selfies you day. can't take any selfies today. That's and I know that. I know. You're a selfie-aholic. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Come on. You, you know, do. I'm, I'm good for a selfie now and again. I hate selfies. You know, it's funny. I I hated them at first, too, for for like the first three years. And then I was like, if this is the way social media is going, then I need to embrace it. In fact, I remember the moment I embraced it. It was at the UCLA football game when BYU lost 24-23. Mm. You, you went blue steel on it. Yes. Yeah. That was the moment. because you haven't looked back. Ben there. Bagley said, hey, I need." we did a selfie thing for BYU Sports Nation. That I'm not kidding you. That was the moment where I was like, okay, 
That I'm was it. All in. It turned. Now, isn't that too, awkward? Since that yes. was the same day you got those collagen injections into your lips, right? And they looked fantastic. I need to do that again. Yeah, you might want to just. They just kind it's of really gone expensive, down a bit. though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Tell me, Snooky. Uh, Snooky has a really Snooki. good deal. I haven't heard that yeah. word in a long. Yeah, time. she's one of my favorites. GTL, Jim Tam Laundry. <laughs> 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 okay, so your show um, uh, starts in about five minutes. Anything yes. else we need to know about it? No, it's not going to be depressing. Okay, we refuse good. to be depressed because it's Christmas morning for sports fans. That's I'm, right. Yeah, I'm just we're just going to call it like it is. You know? Just yeah. call it like it is, get yes. the show over with, and then go watch basketball. Yeah. I mean, no, not then go watch basketball. Watch basketball yeah, during will, the show. You will watch basketball during the show while— I have the internet! That's right, the interweb. Okay. Guys, it's a great fix. It's a great fix. And we wish you the best uh, in your health, Spencer, and in your collagen injections. Thank you. May you have duck lips forever. Duck lips forever. Ah, boy. Good to have Spencer back, even when he's sick. I love just having him around. You know what I mean? They're such a good team. Hey, uh, this is going to put fear in your head. Listen to this. Miami lawyer, a defense lawyer's pants, burst into flames Wednesday afternoon. As he began his closing arguments in front of a jury. I mean, you already know. Wow. Here's audio from the scene. You already know it's a tense moment. He's beginning his closing arguments. And uh, all of a sudden, Stephen Gutierrez, who was arguing that his client's car, listen to this, had spontaneously combusted and was not intentionally set on fire. So his case he was arguing was an arson case. And all of a sudden, his pants started on fire. Um, Stephen Gutierrez, in the middle of his argument, had been fiddling in his pocket as he was about to address jurors when the smoke began billowing out of his right pocket. Witnesses told the Miami Herald he rushed out of the Miami courtroom, leaving spectators stunned. After jurors were ushered out, Gutierrez returned unharmed with a single with a singed pocket and uh, insisted that it wasn't a stage defense demonstration gone wrong, observers said. Instead, Gutierrez blamed a faulty battery in an e-cigarette that witnesses uh, – and that's what the witnesses told the Miami Herald – can I just point out the obvious? I don't know. Can you? A lot of people would say yeah. that lawyers lie. Yeah, lying lawyers. So, liar, liar, pants on fire. The, the, it's finally come true. This is the obvious thing you wanted to point out? Yes. This Wasn't obvious what, to you? No. This is what you thought everyone was thinking. Oh, yeah. See, I was thinking he was like trying to – do this to show that things, you know, automatically combust. Just out of nowhere, things can just combust. But no, you're saying... Liar, liar, pants on fire. So he's lying. Uh, hello, a little fault in your thinking. There was no telephone wire involved, and he did not hang from it. <sighs> Boy, that's one of those magical moments that you just... You can't explain in any other way except for his e-cig caught on fire. He probably would not have described it as magical. No, I think he'd describe it as hot. That's nice that he ran out so he doesn't like, you know, emulate. Is that what it's called? That that actually wasn't a soundbite from the courtroom. It was his quote. Oh, okay. That's good. When When asked, how did you feel? When oh. this happened. Oh, yeah, because he still got – That burned. was his quote. Wow. Well, 
we wish him the best of luck and to his uh, and to the person he was representing as well and to the judge and the fire department that were called. All good luck. As you know, we like to end with a hero story. McDonald's employee jumps through the drive through window to rescue unconscious police officer in Florida. A McDonald's employee in Doral, Florida, rescued the police officer Tuesday after she became unconscious at a restaurant drive through window. Uh, surveillance footage provided to Miami-based station WPLG shows the fast-acting employee Pedro Villoria jumping out of the restaurant's drive through window after a customer very slowly pulled away. Valoria said the customer, an off-duty Miami-Dade police officer who had two children in the back seat, was suffering from a medical emergency. Valoria said the customer pulled up, paid the further order without a problem, but he noticed that she was having trouble breathing when he returned to the window with her food. In that moment, I thought I'd rather save the woman's life, he said. He said, I see she's like inflating her, uh, these are his words, inflating her neck, like trying to breathe. Like, ah, and basically I thought something was going wrong. After checking on the customer and finding her unconscious, Valoria said he rushed to the back uh, into the restaurant to get help. Thankfully, he did not have to look far. A customer who identified herself as a paramedic jumped into action and assisted both the officer and Valoria. So uh, that's pretty cool. A real hero, folks. The firefighters that then showed up said, this guy's a real hero. Diving out of the, the drive through window to save this police officer and help her uh, breathe again. Cool stuff. That's what heroes are, folks. They come in all shapes and sizes, all times, all places. Everybody gets a chance to be a hero sometime in their life. The best hero you can be is the hero at home and uh, taking care of your family and the people that matter most to you. We'll take, uh, we'll take any hero we can get. That's the show. We'll be back tomorrow. Until tomorrow, folks, let's take care of each other. Let's uh, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.